Everyone knows there are two sides to the infamous Dr. Jekyll. By day, the man. By night, the monster. Put a woman in your life, a good woman, and one day you'll wake up and you'll see a changed man. Now, Hammer believe you too are ready for a change. An absolutely complete change. This is the testament of Dr. Henry Jekyll. Male. 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 It's Hyde, isn't it? How is your brother? He hasn't been himself of late. This is the new Dr. Jekyll. The most evil woman you'll ever see. This is the sensuous Sister Hyde. The most evil man you'll ever meet. Stay away from her. She means you great harm. Why? I just feel it, that's all. Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde. Man or woman? Or both? Hammer invites you to share the agony of a man whose body is possessed by a strange passion to murder and beyond. They must be female. No more than 20 years old. There will be a different kind of victim tonight. And then the tug of war will be ended between us. A fascinating situation, don't you think? It'll be interesting to see who wins. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. Everyone, how are you all this evening? How uh, How's it going? How, uh, how's the last three minutes been with me flubbing the opening over and over again? That That been good? Everybody been good? Oh, it's been so traumatic. Uh, I found it pretty entertaining. Um, That's I, where I, I like to aim, everyone. <laughs> I like to aim at that like sweet mid-ground of like, traumatic and entertaining. Uh, <laughs> if I lean too far one way or the other, it's just, you know, a bit bland. A bit it's bland. like a good Hammer movie. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> one we're talking about tonight. Ooh. All right. So, uh, I don't know. No, seriously, how's everyone's weeks been? I, I haven't gotten to talk to you all that much in the last week since we recorded. So, uh, so how's life? How's everything going? Doing good. Yeah, um, good. yeah I mean, my kids are getting back to school, so summer's kind of coming to an end, uh, which is crazy because I feel like summer just started. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a good week. I'd Paul, say. I'm so sorry. Did did you say your children are going back to school? They are. Okay. They they, are. they don't they don't go to school in Florida, right? They do not go to school in Florida. Unfortunately, oh, okay. it is Missouri, they're but they're okay. We're, we're doing what we can. They're That's wearing cute. masks. They yeah, are wearing you're masks. Not you so you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> but good. Good deal. Okay. Well, rock on, Allie. How about you? What's been going on? Oh, my God. What has been going on? Oh, we had our first open air sort of like market this weekend that the horror convention I co-run uh, hosted. And it was really fun. We had a nice turnout. We hosted it at a local brewery. So everyone had like a ton of beer and there was maybe like 
10 vendors and everyone was even though it was outside everyone wore masks and was super respectful and like it was very cute we haven't done that in like two years and like none of us have really seen anybody and during that time either so it was a lot of us being like oh my god i missed you i missed you your hair is so long your beard is so long oh my god and now just, was that like uh was it always intended to be open air or was it like was that a covid conscience sort of thing well normally we have it at um like a convention hall and we usually get like guests and stuff to come in and it's like it's a lot of fun um but because you know we had to cancel basically the last two years we still wanted to do something that was similar so we just decided to work with a local brewery shacklands brewery shout out to those those hunks and they let us utilize their like parking lot and we got our vendors that we usually work with to come and set up booths. So we had like t-shirts and VHSs and like old board games and like, you know, bath bombs that are shaped like Michael Myers. And it was like, oh, it was so much fun. That sounds amazing. I, I miss horror conventions so much. I miss, I miss being crowded together with a bunch of people in like a, a big hotel room, like bopping around from like vendor table to vendor table, you know, like it's just yeah. that, that it's like shared community immediately. You just walk in and immediately you're like, I'm home. It's so <laughs> We're like, there, cause there's for us, like there's a circuit of conventions that we all do, but we all only see each other at those events. So it's like summer camp friends where you're like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you in a year. Yeah. I, I would love to go to something like that. And in general, I, I haven't been to enough conventions. I've only been to a few and it's always something that I've wanted to do more of. Um, so hopefully after all this pandemic stuff sort of settles, I'll be able to, to fulfill that dream and visit some of those. I mean, that's a really easy dream to fulfill. Like you're setting the bar real low on accomplishment. True. true. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that means I, I have something that I can conceivably accomplish. So now I, you know, I can are feel you, good about myself. Are your kids interested in that? Like, will you dress your kids up as like little <laughs> Jason Voorhees? And like... they're, my kids are yes like they're, they're definitely more interested in horror than the average like seven to ten year old girl um but they're not like so fully into it that they'd probably want to like dress up like jason Voorhees kind of thing and i'm yep. still a little cautious about th- like they haven't watched the friday 13th movies but they've seen a lot of like monster movies know. Like, I shy away from, like, a person killing people movies to show them. But I show them lots of, like, monster stuff, ghost stuff. You know, that uh, the other kind of scary. Yeah. The but, less likely scary. Yeah. And, I, I like, well, someday, like, I've been going back and forth. Like, I think my 10-year-old could probably watch some of the... Like, I, I, I've, been, I've been really toying with whether or not to show my 10-year-old Halloween. That's the one that I... Th- think she might be ready for um but my seven-year-old it would like destroy her <laughs> I feel like 10's a good age for that movie yeah I, th- I think so yeah that might happen this year we'll see but they they adore like halloween's their favorite holiday um they love sort of all of the trappings of spooky season so we're we're, we're close oh that's cute oh uh, that hello 
kids is the funnest. Like I hang out with my partner's kids on Halloween and it's just so cute watching them get all like dressed up and going trick or treating. And now they're getting too old. So trick or treating is not as cool. And I'm like, fuck you. It's freaking. <laughs> Seriously though. Halloween's always cool. Trick or treating. Yeah. I, I wish I could trick or treat. I want you free candy. Just start going to people's houses, banging on their doors and screaming at them. <laughs> Give me okay. candy. I uh, going back to horror conventions for two seconds, if it's okay, because I want to float an idea to our listeners for a second. Uh, our listeners who, who who are out there, I've seen the numbers, but we, uh, you know, they rarely comment or hit us up on Twitter. But I am very curious about this. If anyone is going to respond, do I? I'm sorry. What a bunch of dicks never hitting us up on Twitter. Come on, guys. We're I mean, for you. <laughs> I mean. Come on. Uh, but no, this is something that uh, myself and Paul and Allie actually uh, talked about off air a little bit last week. Um, but, you know, talking about conventions, I think it would be really neat if for, yeah, we're, we're approaching the end of the line when it comes to Hammer. So for maybe our last episode, I think it would be cool if we somehow, some way, like rented a massive hotel room and like almost like a, not room, like a hall, like. Ali said, like a convention hall and staged like a live episode that way. I think that would be, well, I think that would be super cool. But well, you guys have like genre theaters near you that usually host that kind of stuff because that could also be fun. Yeah, but some, but, but, you know, my point being is like, I wonder how many listeners out there would be keen on maybe like traveling to check that out or if they would just be like, no, nah, dude, this is, we, this ends at like me downloading an episode from iTunes. We should do a Twitter poll and see what people are saying. So maybe we could just hook up with a convention that's already happening and be like, hey, you got this convention already going. Maybe we come on, do a live recording. Everyone can watch the movie. Horror Hound did that once with, uh, oh, I think they did it with Dead Pit Radio. And they did it like this really fun, silly slasher movie called Home Sweet Home from the 80s. It starred, uh, uh, does anybody remember like the Body by Jake guy? Yeah, uh, yeah. Who's kind of terrifying in his own right, but then he yeah, cast yeah. him as a fucking slasher. Like, are you kidding me? But uh, yeah. The, but the, here's the thing, though: is as of now, the last Hammer movie is The Lodge, and The Lodge is not what you would call a crowd pleasing, fun horror movie of any. Uh, you know, like that would that would just depress no. everyone. We're not going to have a lot of yucks with a big yeah. audience with The Lodge. You know. Hmm. Nobody's going to be tipping back a brew and laughing their asses off when, uh, you know, when, when Alicia Silverstone, well, spoilers. But our but, last episode isn't going to be The Lodge. It's going to be one of the, like, amalgam episodes because we've talked about, like, top tens. We've talked about, like, offshoot things, you know? Like, I don't think our last episode will be a movie. It'll probably be, like, what are your top ten Hammer movies or, or something along those lines. Or it'll be Dracula Dead and Loving It. Sure. I feel like I feel like the end of I I feel like the end of Hammer Pub actually it it, it needs to be a Hammer movie, but I just don't know what that movie would be. Mm. You mm. mean like just pick a Hammer movie, like one we haven't talked about because we didn't. There's a lot of like like voting. There's a lot of peripheral horror that we didn't cover. You know, Paul, what it needs to be. Hmm. We need to skip it. And we need to just charge forward. We need to get to the very end. And then when we do the final episode, 
we it needs to be one of two movies and i'll leave it maybe that's the twitter poll but it needs to be oh. a fun hammer movie but it needs to be a hammer movie with a capital h but something that people are going to have a blast with i say for our very last episode we do the movie that we will have skipped on our way to the end and do a live commentary of either captain chronos or <sighs> the seven golden vampires uh, both are good choices. I'm down with either. Or double well, you, feature. Well, here's the thing. You you know how I feel about Kronos. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I Kronos is a very... I, I, I'm gonna... I, I will always bring up Kronos because it's so amazing. The other thing is Nolan is promised to seven golden vampires. So I feel he's, like... He's gonna have to travel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Nolan, I know you I listen. We, You're gonna have I to think travel, we do. Sir. I think we. I think we save Kronos if we're gonna save one of the two. I think is Kronos it, would be a fun. Do you think it's fun enough? Like between the two, what is the? Like I'm thinking. Okay, let's be optimistic here. It, a decent sized room, a decent sized hall full of people, drinking beer, having a blast, listening to us do a commentary. Which movie is going to be more fun for them? Kronos or Golden Vampires? And be honest. I'd have it, to think about it. I think Kronos is really fun. I think Kronos is super fun. Is this like an event where we can drink at? I assume so, right? Like there'll be some sort of license. Well, we're we're sort of making this up as we go along. I assume if we did do this, we'd we'd figure out a way to drink. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. We'd yeah, have we're to be drinking than Kronos for sure. The whole point is we're gonna find some place and we're gonna make it the Hammer Pub in a physical space. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. let's do a Twitter poll. That's why I think a we should Twitter do it. Twitter poll for our right. last episode. Twitter poll. That's, that's the answer. Okay, but speaking about speaking about movies, <laughs> what have we seen in the last week? Has anybody, has anybody uh, seen some cool horror movies they'd oh. like to chat about a little bit? Uh, I, 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 saw, I saw a lot of movies this week. I saw some big ones that y'all referenced or told me to watch. All right, Paul, I actually shoot. listened to your recommendations. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, I watched, so, um, I don't know. The first one's not really horror, but I guess I can talk about it, right? Because that's me. That's sort of my MO. Um, uh, is Pig. I saw oh! Pig. Best movie of the year. Did you love it? Uh, I thought it was, like, maybe one of the best movies I've ever seen. Because <laughs> like, it's... I get it. it might it it's hard because I just watched it and I really try to hesitate from like because you know you get that like hyperbolic reaction to a movie that you really respond to but I mean that movie just annihilated me emotionally like <laughs> I when it ends I was just a mess <laughs> Like, I just, it just hit me in this very visceral, emotional way. Um, it, it's sort of a, it's kind of like a deconstruction of, like, the enterprise of mankind. Like, it's it sort of weighs the cost of, like, the luxury we seek so, you know, vehemently against sort of, like, this, all of the meaning we sacrifice to get it. Mm. and it really resonated with me and 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 again kind of when you compare it to like everything else right like when you compare something like pig to sort of like 
the commercial nothingness of modern movies. You know, it, it emerged. Yeah, we talked about Space Jam 2 last week and I sort of defended it. But this movie, this movie kind of like holds up a mirror and goes, Paul, really? Space Jam 2? And I'm like, okay, fine. It sucks. But I liked it. But this is this is real art. Like Pig is real art. Um, and it has something to say. And it And it was one of the most like heartfelt and sincere movies I've ever seen. Like, there's not an ounce of cynicism in the heart of the movie, even though what's happening around Nicholas Ca- Cage's character is nothing but a cynical world. He is the, his life sort of view is the answer to that cynicism and how you navigate it. Um, and I just thought it was a, just a brilliant movie. I don't, I, I loved it. that's awesome that's awesome it's so fucking good yeah and cage too like it's you know what's gonna happen it's gonna be like tony collette and hereditary all over again they're not gonna nominate him and i'm just going to i'm just gonna continue to have no faith in that in that body the best thing to do is to not worry about it because you're right i mean if anybody has ever deserved an oscar for anything it's nicholas cage and pig um, and I didn't really say what it was about or going, but I almost, I don't think I need to, I, I think that hopefully like hearing you two talk about it and then hearing me talk about it. If you haven't seen it yet, go pay the $6 and watch the best movie of the year. Like just, just go do it. You don't need to know anything about it. There's a pig in it, but you know, sure. That's and in there. And, and it's not John Wick. <laughs> like I feel like no. the marketing and the expectations kind of push well, that a little bit. But I and like he doesn't really fight. He just like gets the shit kicked out of him. I kind of liked that I didn't know that all the way yeah. though. Like I kind of th- that's why I didn't want to talk too much about the plot because I think like going into it, you know, because yeah, I certainly expected there to be uh, not John Wick, but it, like an element of that, you know, as the movie progressed. Like it, it feels like a tale of vengeance at the outset it feels like that's what it's going to become Mm. and his response to that expectation like how the movie plays with the audience's expectation of that kind of story is part of what makes it so good and so touching Um, because it's also challenging like the the viewer's worldview in a way Um, and and making us think about things differently um, and 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 there's so many moments in the film where Nicolas Cage like confronts people that, by all accounts, would normally just dismiss him, and just in in a matter of seconds, completely deconstructs them in a way that's so disarming that often brings them to tears. You know what I mean? That like yeah. and, and you just never see that in a movie, and and the writing is so good. Anyway, yeah, it's. I could go on and on about it. It's not, it's definitively not a horror movie, but it's very, very good. And it should be watched. And can I say one thing too? I I feel like last week, Allie and I talked about it quite a bit. Obviously Cage is amazing in it. Allie, you and I talked about how great Alex Wolf was in it too, but I saw somebody on Twitter mention this and uh, they're entirely right too. Where the hell did that Adam Arkin performance come from? No idea. How did that guy become so intimidating well i yeah i mean and where's he been you know like 
I, I, I'm a big Adam Markin fan, you know, H2O all the way, baby. But like last I saw him was Lake Placid, I think. But at least I acknowledged yeah, him. That was last time I saw him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where he's been, but yeah, he was great. I mean, everybody in the movie does a very good job. I, I don't think there's anybody that really like drags the movie down. And certainly Alex Wolf was was wonderful in the film. And you you all talked about Alex Wolf and like, yeah, in the movie he's sort of like a like a yuppie asshole, but but that's also not really who he is. You know, yeah. I mean like that that's a put on persona that that was sort of forced into being by his father. Yeah. And I like his father's clothes. And yeah. I love that Cage allows him to shed them bit by bit on his way to the ending. You know, like Yeah, I, yeah. By the end I think um I'm I'm in I'm in his camp. You know, I, I'm a fan of his character and I understand but but I think that's what the movie does so beautifully is that it 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 shows you that like n- there's not a single person who's one dimensional. Yeah. Um and and there are for you know as bad as someone might be there's 30 things they may have sacrificed you know consciously or subconsciously to get to where they are and those things sort of like make up the story of that person and if you can kind of get to the core of those things you can often find the value in that person, whether or not they, they still deserve that chance. You know, I guess that's up to the, the, the eye of the boulder, but the way Nicholas Cage, his, his character sort of handles the situation. Well, and then on top of everything else, it, it it's, it's about an artist, right? Like it's the story of an artist um, and what being an artist sort of does to somebody, especially someone who gives everything to their art. Um, and I think it's really hard to tell a story like that without being, without keeping your audience at an arm's length, you know, like anytime a movie tries to tell the story of an artist, a lot of times it feels a little alienating. It feels like you get too far into the head of that character and, and emotionality becomes like difficult to, uh, manifest. But I thought this movie really like juggled you know, the, the, the quest of an artist finding meaning in life with very relatable emotional, you know, circumstances. So yeah, for me, it was, it was a, uh, a teary eyed watch, but, uh, but one I really enjoyed. (laughs) Yeah. And can we just say for a second too, I mean, Mandy, Colorado space, like Mm -hmm. Willie's wonderland, even pig, you know, Prisoners of the Ghost Land is coming up and it looks pretty great. Like, I, I, I feel like Cage has managed to remove himself from that arena where people found it all too easy to throw stones at him. And, you know, like some of the stuff that he did and like some of his choices, you know, both in, uh, you know, like the films he elected to do, but also the the choices he made with his performances. I, I just felt like he became for the longest time kind of like the butt of the joke. And I, I love that in recent years, like if anybody has been paying attention, you know, he, he should have been able to thoroughly silence all of his detractors at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I also think like he's been doing great work for years, um, but because he was doing so much, um, you know, direct to video stuff and like a lot of movies that maybe weren't, the greatest he got that reputation but i think throughout the last like decade or so mixed in with some of the stuff that wasn't so great there there have been some really standout 
performances that are worth checking out. Um, Joe certainly is, I think, yeah. probably the best. Well, and even like Bad Lieutenant is a great performance. It's a bonkers movie, but his performance in it is amazing. Like, <laughs> it is. It's amazing. It's an amazing performance. And he's done so many fun movies that are just off the wall crazy. Like, Drive Angry is really fun. He's um, a lot of fun. Mom and Dad is fun. Like, yeah. there's stuff out there that's that's a good time from a great actor that hasn't been getting, I think, the credit it deserves. Um, and you mentioned Willy's Wonderland. I love that movie. I thought Willy's oh, Wonderland was great. Fucking blast. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I agree, though. I, I think that the rest of the world is starting to acknowledge it more, which is great. And I really hope that we're that he's going to get more and more of a spotlight um, as, as going forward. And I am really excited about prisoners of a ghost land. I haven't, you know, I obviously haven't seen it yet. It looks so fucking good. Yeah. It looks really good. (laughs) Well, I mean, when the poster blurb is, this is the wildest movie I've ever made. And that's from cage. It's like, okay, all right. I am. That's setting the bar pretty high. (laughs) That is, that is a ticket sold. So Allie, how about you? What have you seen recently? Okay. I saw two things that are worth talking about. One, the Nighthouse. Yes. Like, oh my God. I fucking loved that movie so much. I was like broken by the end of it. And thankfully, like no one else was in the movie theater. So I'm just like sobbing into my popcorn being like, this is a weird like love story, but it's not a love story. And everyone's fucked up and fuck this. And but it it's, was oh, it was so good. Yeah, it's it's um, I I agree with you. It is. It, I, it's a tough watch. It's a tough watch, especially when you go to like later, later in the movie, like that end moment with the. I don't know how to describe it. Like the the two visions of what she's seeing, but what other people are seeing, and she's in the boat, and like. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll probably have to dance around spoilers for listeners, but but I I, I think I know what you're talking about near yeah, the end, right? That, okay. The, the the reversed. I don't know how to say it, but like it was beautiful, and locations were beautiful, and like Rebecca Hall is phenomenal in it. Like this role was clearly made for her. Yeah, she's she's been doing amazing work and pretty much everything that she's done over the course of the past decade. I remember seeing, um, it's so weird. I wasn't familiar with the, the event as it were. I think I'd heard about it briefly back when I was in electronic media, when I was a kid going into college, but I, I didn't know that much about it, but do either of you know the story of Christine Chubbuck? Uh, I've heard, I think you told me about it. So yeah, yeah it, it was this came out a few years ago, right? Yes, yeah. It's uh, and I think somebody mentioned it's like on Tubi now. And so basically, in real life, in the seventies, there. Well, fuck. I don't. If you're not familiar with it, I guess I probably shouldn't spoil it. Although you might appreciate me spoiling it for you before you actually go into the movie. But let's just say that there was an on-air news anchor who um had had troubles and there was an event that played out live uh to to viewers of this particular program she was on and it it's been like the, anybody who's in like any sort of media like you know like on air stuff like they knows this story because of what's this movie called how uh what's that what's the movie called 
The movie is just called Christine, and it stars Rebecca Hall, and she's her performance in it is just absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing. Again, it goes back to like the Tony Collette thing, where it's just like, you know what, Oscars don't really matter because this forget best actress like it's it was the best performance that anybody gave that year and um it's it was weird for me because i had just moved to florida and i'm in like the sun coast area like straddling the line between bradenton and sarasota and i didn't know that the events of you know that case in that movie actually take place in sarasota and bradenton so it was very weird to be sitting in a movie theater watching the story on spool you know, a stone's throw away from where all of the events actually took place some 40 years prior. Anyway, that's me taking the long way around of saying that Rebecca Hall in that movie is just incredible. And if anyone out there has not seen that movie, it's an Antonio Campos movie. Uh, again, it's called Christine. I believe it's on Tubi right now. It's also Se- on Netflix in Canada. See, oh, okay, definitely seek that movie out because her performance in it is just an absolute masterclass. As is her performance in The Night House, because holy shit, she is fucking fantastic in that movie as well. So fantastic. Um, and like, I want to like say all the things that happen, but then I'm like, nope, these are all very insane plot points that I definitely can't talk about without spoiling it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, the basic setup, um, you know, you get in the trailer, and bravo to the marketing team for making an effective, spooky, scary, intriguing trailer without spoiling all of the twists and turns that the movie takes. Um, My hat's off to them for that. I'll just say that the basic setup is uh, a woman loses her husband to suicide, and she discovers that he had sort of an alternate life that involved him tackling this massive project where he built basically a replica of their home in the woods based on an alley what would you say like a reverse floor plan yeah it's like a reverse floor plan across the lake and like it's i mean let's be real that place is my dream house that happens there but i mean outside of that (laughs) yeah it is it is uh and that's you know and that's probably all i would be comfortable with saying like it is Perhaps a movie of the supernatural, but maybe it's not. Uh, I will say that there is a central mystery in it that is really engaging, really fascinating. Um, It's what I loved about it was that there are moments in the movie where I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I know where this is going. Like, okay, that's really clever. Cool. But I'm calling it right now. This is what it is. And I wasn't necessarily wrong. But then when you get to that point, there's a completely different mystery that opens up and Mm -hmm. confounds you all over again. And um, I just love that. I love kind of as an audience member being toyed with a bit by, uh, you know, by the creators. And, uh, you know, Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski wrote the screenplay. Uh, It's superb. I think it's the best work they've done. And this is coming from somebody who adores super dark times. Uh, You know, David Bruckner, he's the guy who did The Ritual, which I loved. I think this is a better movie. Yeah, it's it's just it's and I now I really, really can't wait to see what that team does with uh, with Hellraiser. I think they're probably going to knock it out of the park. Create atmosphere so well in these films that like it engulfs you and it's so good. Yeah. And, you know, I what's interesting about the movie, though, is that it is like a really smart, like really insightful sort of exploration of grief. And in a way that's not like, um, 
And the opening scene, which I won't spoil, but the opening scene perfectly spells it out, where this is not a performance where it's all about big scenes and exclamation points and screaming and crying and pounding pounding one's chest and clawing their hair out and, you know, uh, just, you know, giving a really cathartic experience for the audience. It's more about depicting what grief looks like in real life, where a person is hollowed out and cold, you know, and it's... And the way she portrays that, like, is just, it's... Of course she portrays it so good. But but on top of that, it also manages to be one hell of a crackerjack, like, fucking frightening, scary-ass horror movie. And I wonder if, like, mileage won't vary with viewers, where I could almost see, like, teenagers watching this and respecting it as just a fun, scary movie, and then a lot of the other stuff maybe won't yeah. land with them. But, you know, with some viewers, it might destroy them you know sequences in this movie you know it destroyed me but also it had like some like audio jump scares i wasn't expecting there there was like one moment where i just kind of like uh we're gonna talk about the same moment but like just that loud wall of sound that hits you and you're just like oh my god i was not expecting that and it's nothing and it's terrifying and i (laughs) It's, but it's also mean spirited as all hell because like you you get the jump scare and then you settle down like oh well done but then you also realize what the jump scare means and you're like fuck that's cold like that's you're like that's, that's not fucking cool come on <laughs> <laughs> no but it is yeah. I mean highest possible marks for me I mean this is this is one of the best movies can. yeah def- it yeah. It, it, you know what's amazing? I it's funny. The writers, um, I I told them on Twitter like there was this amazing moment in the movie. There were probably there was a you know a decent amount of people for an opening show on a Friday. You know, I went to a matinee, and everyone was very respectful. They kept their fucking cell phones out of sight. Nobody was talking. Nobody was being a jackass. It was amazing. And there is this prolonged set piece in the final act of the movie. Where before things get really, let's say, loud, there is this moment of sustained silence where you know something horrible is probably going to happen, but they keep you right on that razor's edge the entire time. And there was this amazing moment where I heard somebody gasp. And it wasn't a gasp of somebody seeing something shocking. It was the gasp of somebody who had been holding their breath. Mm -hmm. And then had to gasp for air so they could hold it again to make it to the end of the sequence. And I was like, that is brilliant. Like, the entire audience is so wrapped at this moment that it's, uh, you could tell, like, everything that the filmmakers were doing, like, they were playing us all, every audience member, like a, like, like an instrument. It was beautiful. It really was. And that movie just, like, oh, it hit me, like, it hit me like a sack of bricks because, like, I suffer from depression, but also, like, I lost my best friend to suicide. So how she basically lives after he's gone is, like, I was like, oh, my God, you're me. Like, we're each other. We're just the same person right now. Even that whole scene where she's just spacing out in her... Because she's a teacher, that's not a spoiler, uh, in her classroom, and that student's mom comes in to dispute a grade, and she's like, you want to fucking be here? Be. Boom. Okay, we're good. My husband just shot himself. Like, fuck you, dude. And I'm just like, that was me for so long. And it just, oh, yeah, it was really cathartic to watch. And just like, oh, it was, everything about it was so good. 
And didn't that scene feel so much more real than her having a teary-eyed heart-to-heart with a stranger that any other movie would probably do in that moment? Yeah, like, you know? it needed to have that, not, like, snarkiness, because she's not being snarky. She's just like, I'm fucking done. Like, I don't care about your kids. I don't care about, like, like my husband literally just shot himself. Like, what am I... Am I supposed to give a shit that your kid didn't turn in an assignment? There are bigger things in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she was... It's funny, it, it arrives at that moment in the movie where it's like, you know, screenwriting. It's like, oh, this is the part where she saves the cat. This is the part where she does something that mm-hmm. makes her endear herself to us, the audience. And instead, it's kind of like, she's like, nah, fuck the cat. You know, like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, just going to be kind of snarky and mean-spirited to somebody who deserves it. And as a result, she's so much more endearing. Like, we like her so much more because she's so damn real in that moment. I just wanted to, like, I'm so happy that we stayed with her for the entire movie because she was so good. And even, like, the the best friend character who the actress's name is escaping me. Um, uh, oh, she's on Barry, and I love her. Yeah, um, and I love her so much. I, like, have her monologue from Barry memorized. Um, whatever. We'll fill that blank in later. <laughs> but even their, her relationship with her friends and just being, like, that awkward night when they go out drinking together and it's just like her being like trying to make weird dark jokes about her husband's suicide and being like this is fucked up uh sarah goldberg yes thank you and when the hell is barry coming back on oh my god yeah we're season three i'm like obsessed it's time like we need it already damn But yeah, so uh, I, I'm glad we're in agreement because, yeah, The Night House, like, thumbs up, one of the best movies I've seen this year. I Has there not been a stretch of, like, the last five or six weeks where, like, every other movie is one of the best movies of the year? Yeah. Oh, speaking of other best movies of the year, uh, Paul, you finally watched The Green Knight, too. I did. I did. I, I've been quiet because I have not seen The Night House. Uh, it's not yet available on VOD. So when it when it is, I will watch it and then I will oh, comment. I feel like the the way this show's gonna go is like you two will see a movie and then like <laughs> two weeks later I'll be like, Yeah, I finally saw it. It was really good. Um I mean I went this what, week probably and that's what happened with the Green Knight. I saw the Green Knight because A twenty four did a screening room the day before they released it on VOD. Um and well, I saw it early still, because I saw it a day before everyone else. Uh but yeah, so I I bought my ticket to that, and uh, my wife actually watched it with me. Um, and yeah, I loved it. I loved it in a different way than I loved Pig. Um, you know, because they're they're two completely different experiences. Um, the Green Knight is more of a. I mean, obviously, it's an you know an Arthurian moral odyssey uh, that is very poetic and. You know, emotionally, the movie, I, I will say this, it, it, I'm somebody that when I really love a movie, I typically am emotionally connected to it in some way. This movie didn't really engage me emotionally, but it's sort of like it's beauty, like the cinematography and the the flawlessness of like the performances on screen just the vision of the film was just so like enrapturing that I just, I fell for it. And like, again, a very different way than pig. Um, 
it was it, it's the kind of movie that you feel like you're watching film history mm. you know like you're watching a movie that's going to be shown in film class 50 years from now and dissected and thought about and picked apart and analyzed and and that's kind of an exciting feeling because i feel like movies like that don't come along all that often you know you see movies that are really great but they're they're clearly about what they're about right like when you watch pig you know exactly what it's saying there's not really there's nuance to it but there but there's not really much there and this isn't a slight on pig but it's like you kind of know exactly what it means when you watch the green knight i think there's a lot of different ways to interpret what it's throwing at you um and I was I was a little nervous heading into the ending. I was like, is this all going to because it's one of those movies, too, that like if it doesn't coalesce, it could kind of undo the whole thing. Like it would still be a really beautiful film and still be really worth like talking about. But if it didn't come together, but man, does it come together like the whole finale? I don't I guess I don't want to like I mean, it's weird saying you could spoil it. Because it's obviously such a well-worn tale. But I guess what I'll say is the way they handled, like, what happens when he goes to see the Green Knight at the end, I thought was, like, really brilliantly done. Um, It's kind of a get-your-cake-and-eat-it-too ending. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I was very happy about that. And and I liked how kind of dark it all is and to, like morally like and and it's not afraid to sort of like show you the cold hard truth of the world that you're in and the characters and what they're capable of and what more than likely is the end result of of their sort of shared existence um especially when it comes to like royalty and class systems and and all this so anyway yeah i i really really liked Green Knight. I'm excited to watch it again because I think on a second viewing it'll be it'll be interesting to sort of suss out some of those themes earlier in the film and where it's all sort of headed. Um and and again the performances were just so striking. Um you know Deb Patel and uh the actual Green Knight himself, the guy from The Witch was so good. His voice is amazing. It is. Um, creepy looking kid. I love him. Yeah. And like, oh, one, I will say this. One really cool thing about the A24 screening room is it had a pre-show and an after show. Ooh. Um, and it was hosted by that guy. By what? How do you pronounce his last name? It's Ralph. Is it Inison? Or Inison? I, I, I feel sounds, bad. Sounds I'm, right to me. Like Inison, sure. probably. Inison, yeah. And he... So he he comes in, he opens the film and his creepy voice and sort of like does this little poetic introduction. And then he says, like, come back afterwards for there's more. And then after the film's over, you go back to him and he's like sitting with his dog in front of a roaring fire. And he reads the actual like poem of when of when uh, uh, Gawain goes to the house with with the dude. And the woman who tries to, well, who like sort of seduces him for his seed. Yeah. Like he reads the actual original poem of that um, and just reads it. And it's, but it was like captivating. (laughs) 
Um, so I, I was like, oh, now I don't feel so bad. You know, now, now I don't feel so bad about like buying tickets to this because it felt like I got something special. You did. That's really incredible. Yeah. I, I, I just want to listen to that dude read anything really. Yes. He could have read the phone book and it would have been, would have captured my attention, but. Hey, can I ask you both a question? And this is going to sound like a gag, but it's really not. I genuinely mean this. Are there phone books anymore? Yes. Yeah, Are there really? Yeah, I get them delivered sometimes. They just show up at my door. Okay, just checking. Just, yeah, do ours are on request here? I think you have to, like, ask for one and they'll send you one. I'll be damned. All right. I think, well, I think it's, like, once every couple of years, St. Louis, like, gives one to everyone in the county for who's registered. I don't know if they still do it, but I definitely have gotten them in the last couple of years. Hmm. Why do uh, you... Are you just looking for some phone books to rip in half? And No, well, maybe, but no. Um, it's just, you know, we always fall back on that idea. It's like, oh, I would watch that actor, you know. Uh, um, um, you know, just uh, read the phone book aloud. And uh, I, I say it all the time, too, but it occurred to me this time, I'm like, I haven't seen an actual phone book in ages. So <laughs> I didn't know if they still existed. I'm very old. Is yeah. what's happening. Yeah, that's fine. Well, no one's doing that. <laughs> All right, Allie, what was uh, what was your second movie? Oh yeah, okay. Um, so the Fantasia Festival is currently happening right now in Montreal, and they're playing their films on the internet, which is super great. And one of the films that I sat down and watched was a. It's like over three hours long. And it's a documentary about horror folklore in movies, and it's called Woodlands Dark and Dazed Bewitched. I envy the hell out of you. Oh, I want yeah, to see that so that. badly. Oh, my God. It is. Like, when you see it being like 193 minutes, you're like, whatever. Like, there's no way you're not. Like, it, like you think you're going to get bored, but the entire time you're just, like, captivated because they talk about, like, straight up over, like, 200 films and, like, they have like they have it sectioned off into like little like chapters and everything. Like I think I don't care if it gets released as a full thing or as like a cut down mini series where it's like three episodes or two episodes. It is so good and so informative. And like I started making a list of like all the films that they talked about that like I need to see, but like it was too many films to like even name. But they started with like the quote-unquote unholy trifecta of um witchfinder general and blood on satan's claw and robin hardy's wicker man mm-hmm. and then just from there like take off and talk about everything from like uh a ghost story for christmas to the witch to like midsummer to like everything and it was just so interesting hearing all these different like like opinions and tales and like talking to like folklore historians who are like yeah some people will gloss over stuff and make and make up shit but like that's what film is and at least they're talking about it and like it's the most interesting doc about movies that i've seen in a really long time that's that's really exciting i'm i'm psyched to see that movie did you guys see that um severin's releasing that as part yeah. of a huge folktale horror Lost movie box set 
in my yeah. I mean, like you know, Ali, you mentioned uh, not you know taking notes during it. I think Severin already did to the point where. I mean, it sounds like we're not, you know, everything is going to be included in that box set that we would ever want to watch after having seen the documentary. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm, also, I'm like, buying it. Like, I don't even care what's in it. I'm buying it. Like, Kayla directed this because Kayla Janice is, like, amazing. It, like, blows my mind that, like, we're friends. I'm always just like, I love you so much. You're so cool. Why do you want to hang out with me sometimes? But, like, I don't know if you've read any of her other work, but she wrote the book, um like House of Psychotic Women and um, that Yuletide Terror one. And I want to say Satanic Panic was also hers. So I'm happy that she got to make this like insane doc. That is just like, like I literally had to order a bunch of books about folklore because I was like, I don't know as much as I thought. I need to like learn more because of this. That's awesome. And like, just so good. Everyone, you can see it, see it. The box set, which will include the documentary, is called All the Haunts Be Ours. Uh, it is a limited edition 15-disc and book set, which includes 12 Blu-rays, 3 CDs, 20 feature films, plus hours and hours of shorts, commentaries, featurettes, and more. That thing's going to cost like $300. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. Like, have and to I'm, I'm going to pay for it. <laughs> I'm going to buy yeah. it. I hope they turn it into a book. <sighs> like yeah they should the poster art for it looks like the poster art for like a really fun hardcover novel so like i hope they also go down that route as well but if folk folklore horror stuff is something you're like really into then like thousand percent watch this doc and you'll have like a list of 200 films to watch i love it i love it i i I do love the trifecta like i uh I only saw Blood on Satan's Claw for the first time a couple of years ago, but it blew me away when I when I finally caught it. It's just just amazing. I still haven't seen it, but like it's on Tubi, it's on my list. Love it. Love it. Paul, what is uh what is your final selection? What else have you seen? Um, I mean everything else I watched this week was sort of like rewatches. Um, you know, I rewatched Candyman, I I watched Fright Night again. Um I I rewatched The Hunt with some friends, uh, which I actually think that that movie gets better the more I see it. Is um is that what you would call a red flag movie, Paul? Okay. Oh yeah, you want to talk about some, <laughs> some red flags there, James? All right. <laughs> we always we always have to do like a Twitter commentary every yes, episode. We, do. we damn well do. Well, the first time I saw The Hunt, I was kind of like, it was fine. And, like, every time I see it subsequently, I'm like, this is a really fun movie that I enjoy. So that's that's kind of my take on it now. That is, that is wow, that was, that was kind of true. Okay, fair enough. I mean, put it in the same category as, like, certain red flag films. Like, I don't know, The Joker or... <laughs> the Joker. Or the Goofy movie. <laughs> okay, look. The Goofy movie's really good. And it's a Goofy movie, not the Goofy movie. There's no, there's no the. But it's a Goofy movie. And it's it's a very heartwarming story about a, a, a boy and his father sort of reconnecting. Even though they've grown apart. Oh. Gorge. It's, really, it's really touching. Gorge. Um, But yeah, it's a red flag movie. It means that I'm bad for some reason, I guess. I don't know. I made that up. You're all, you're all bad. Um, <laughs> 
I'm no, rotten. it, it I'm to, to, to explain to <laughs> listeners out there, we're recording this late Monday night. The the current discourse of the day is uh, something called red flag movies, which are essentially movies that if somebody says they like them, that should be a red flag, which is maybe the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. So um, which is, I mean, as dumb goes, that's considerable. Um, no, you know, and what's funny too is is that some people actually had some very good points. They were like, "Well, you know, it's not just whether you like the movies; it's what you're taking away from the movies." And that's actually a very good point. Except the problem is, is the person who kicked off the discourse in the first place was not displaying any level of nuance whatsoever. They were not considering that. It was because in the same tweet they were like, "Okay, we all know." Problem number one: they started the tweet off with, "We all know." Okay, problem number two. We all know that there are red flag movies out there, such as Joker and Fight Club. So, so but they they ended the tweet with what's wrong well, with Fight Club? Fight Club's fun. I guess I they understood the point of Fight Club. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's like I I think people are wanting to ascribe more meaning to that tweet than was actually there because people had a very good point. Like, okay, it's a satire, but some people don't get the satire, and they actually idolize Tyler Durden. Or with the Joker, you know. They they actually idolized the Joker by the end of it. Okay, that makes sense. But the problem is, is that the guy who kicked everything off, that wasn't in consideration because he ended the tweet with, but what are some green flag movies where you know if somebody likes a specific movie, then they're just great. And it's like, okay, you're a fucking moron. Like, if that's, I'm sorry, but you are. <laughs> yeah, like... If Jurassic you love Park. Field of Dreams, it means you're going to be a cool <laughs> of Most of what Spielberg made up until the late 90s is a green flag movie. John Wayne Gacy was probably a huge fan of Looney Tunes. Doesn't mean I'd want to watch cartoons with a motherfucker. Like, I... I just and so inevitably and I get and I get drawn in like I do and I shouldn't because I'm the kind of hypocrite who complains about the Twitter discourse and then inevitably I I I throw myself headfirst into it sometimes so I'm part of the problem. That's fine. It's it's fun to comment on this stuff. No, it's dumb. It's a dumb thing to say. Um, People like to ascribe meaning to you your interests. We've talked about this before. People people who aren't horror fans do that to horror fans all the time. Yep. You know, it's why I don't like the term torture porn, because it, it sort of like suggests what you like is torture porn. But it's a horrible Thank thing to think you. of. I hate that term. I get that it describes a certain era of films. And I like a lot of films that are called that. But I, I just think the term itself comes from a inherently negative place. Yeah, it comes from a place of shame. That like, Right. And it so- makes it like impossible in like intelligent conversation to to sort of like def- it like puts you on the defense right away and that's not really a way to have like a conversation and so i think like this is the kind of thing that often happens to horror fans so i'm guessing whoever said this probably isn't like a big horror person <laughs> no, <laughs> but maybe likely. they are and they're just being really really obtuse i don't know or maybe they're the type of person that just wants to watch the world burn maybe they saw Perhaps, joker yeah. and loved it and they were like how do i do that but in twitter form you know it's funny that joker is like this big pivotal thing i, I don't know it's fucking I, 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 you know it's just the king of comedy like it I, is that's my biggest problem with it it is literally that movie it is <laughs> it is scorsese's king of comedy that's it, it <laughs> it's not and it's like yeah so you just remade the movie and gave him a different character what is what right. is the, that's the they shouldn't thing. have. I honestly think that was a mistake to cast De Niro because all it does is make it seem even more like King of Comedy. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I, and yet at the same time, like, I know that, but I still love that movie. Like, I, I, I thought it I was mean, fantastic. I mean, it was fine. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I, and I know a lot of people loved it. I mean, it won an Oscar, for God's sakes. But, like... It, What's so weird know. is, is, like, on in Twitter, there were, there were lines drawn between Joker and Birds of Prey. It's like, okay, you, you can either no. like the Girl Power movie, or you can like the movie that celebrates toxic masculinity, which is totally not what the movie is doing, but whatever. And me, I, I was the guy who was just like, can I... Can I just like them both? Because I can like them both. I'm gonna like them both. Not one and the same. Like, yeah, I like Birds of Prey a lot too. I like Birds of Prey. It was was a fun movie. It was women owning their own thing. Like, it was great. It's not does not belong. Like, I guess because they were released the same year, but like they shouldn't be up against each other because they're two completely different films. I think it was it was like the DC of it all, and like the fact yeah, because they're both the Joker connection and canon with each other. Are they not in canon? I don't know how DC works. They're they're not. So there's no there's no DC canon then, right? Other than like Snyder's stuff. They're doing like they do with the comics, which and now that they're actually doing movies that tap into the multiverse, and like it kind of justifies it all, but. In the comics, like if you know who, say, Batman is, you know, you can read the monthly title and that will connect to what came before and came after. And will probably connect to the big yearly crossover they do in the summer where all of the various heroes get together and fight whatever fucking battle. But then on top of that, you have like the black label comics, which are like a little harder, a little meaner. They're not set within the canon of the main books, but they take characters that you know and love and tell different stories with them. Um mm. And so I think DC, rather than following the Marvel model, is trying to do that. And apparently they had the right idea because Joker made them a billion dollars. It may not connect to the <laughs> other movies, but it 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 whipped all sorts of assets to box office. Money. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, no. Um, I forgot entirely what the last movie the was. Whole, we yeah, about. the whole red flag film. That's just. I'm like trying to. Like, is there a specific movie where someone's like, oh, that's my favorite movie? I'm like, ugh, never mind. But like, honestly, I don't care. If you like a movie, like, fuck yeah, like that movie. I don't know that yeah. I could be friends with somebody who liked the Wicker Man remake. Beyond that, I, I'm not too judgmental. It's a great movie. <laughs> I. I like it on the level of I find it very like entertaining to watch. Yeah, like it's a fun watch. <sighs> but like I don't know if there's a movie that if someone came up to me and said this is my favorite movie of all time that I would immediately not like. That. I don't know if that movie exists. I mean, it might make me go like, oh, I don't, I don't um, trust your taste. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust your taste, but like, but, like I could still be friends with you. <laughs> would you would you have any misgivings whatsoever about hanging out with somebody who within you know while you're doing the whole handshake thing, like in conversation, at some point was like, you know what, the Serbian film, fuck yeah. I know a bunch of people who would do that. I mean, granted, not like a handshake. <laughs> I, I think it's a good movie. I, I don't I've know never that I watched it, and I don't really want to it's not i'm just not i'm just not interested in it yeah the hell of it is it's actually here's the thing i was uh it was late 2017 okay let's cast back about three and a half years but or four and a half four Four, how fucking long ago was nearly four years ago my god it was like Uh, 50 years ago i think it feels like back in the back in the last year 
And I was uh, I I had a bootleg of it, and I was I was borderline depressed, and I'd been drinking, and I I was just in the mood for something mean spirited as all hell, and I saw it sitting on my shelf, just like hey, we doing this, and I was like fuck it, let's do it, and I tossed it in, and I, Paul, I'll tell you two things, one, I will never watch it again, ever. Uh, that's watch thing. Thing, thing two is that it is actually a very good film. Uh, that's what surprised me the most. I, I was expecting borderline like a Carnival Geek show, and instead, like it's a very well-made movie with solid performances and something really interesting to say, but it's just astonishingly brutal and unflinching and confrontational, and it will fuck up your week. So, yeah, like I never recommend people watch it, but like I've seen it, I get it. I just it's not for me. That's not my jam. Yeah, I, I have no problem. I mean, I I get, I get it, and I know that there's lots of people who like it, and I would never begrudge someone who did. It's just like it's one of those things where I just like you just said, like I know going in that it's not for me, so it's like, eh, I, life's too short. I want to watch movies. I want to watch. There's a couple like that that I've put off and not seen i just i'm just not interested in it but i'm can sure you, it's can you well, name a couple because i'm curious because that's the only one to me where i'm just like never again well there's certain movies that people kind of like scared me off on a long time ago that i just never got around to that i know i should watch and like but like i'm just kind of like unnerved by what i've heard about them if that makes sense um sure probably the one that people would give me the hardest time about and i almost hesitate to say it because this would this is sort of one of those like horror cred card ones that oh please don't might... let it be the one that i think is it, it is please compete no no oh, no I've de- oh that is one of them i i have not seen any of those and i'm not interested in them they sound way too gross paul, paul um, please please tell me please tell me it's, it's not murders it's it's martyrs. <laughs> I've never That's seen so it. Paul, you can, you can handle it. I know. I, I know. I know I can handle it. It's just, I just, it's one of those things where when it came out, it like I, everything I heard sort of scared me away from it. And then I just never went back to it. And it doesn't have like a great US release. Like if somebody put out a really nice Blu ray of it, I'd buy it and then I'd watch it. Like that's I need something to like kick me over the edge, but you know that that was one that I just sort of avoided. But yeah, Human Centipede, I I never checked out because it just I don't know when when something's like that grotesque, it feels more like it's just doing it to be gross, and yeah, I'm just not interested in that. Yeah, I'm just I, it just doesn't do anything for me, and I'm like, well, why do I want to be grossed out if there's like nothing else other than that kind of thing? Can I say so, one thing about Human I mean, Centipede? I think they're funny. No, and I'm not judging, you know, like I, I, I get it. Like I, and I would maybe watch them in, in the right circumstance. I just, I'm not going to do it like on my own, you know, I'm not going to like go and seek it out. Yeah. No. It's like a party move. No, that's not a good way to describe it. <laughs> party. <laughs> terrible party, terrible, terrible party movie. Like, um, bring down the vibe. <laughs> Well, I'll just say this about Human Centipede, and we don't have to talk at length about it, but I remember reading about it, what the basic premise was. And again, it's kind of like how I felt going into a Serbian film. I had a certain picture in mind. I imagined what that movie was, uh, which was, again, Carnival Geek Show, just horrible, awful depravity and just sick, disgusting, horrible shit. Like, you know, uh, and (laughs) 
I, I was basically I was borderline browbeaten into it. There was a guy that I worked with at the movie theater at the time who had bought it and watched it, and he was like, "Watch it. It's not what you think it is." And I'm like, I'm looking at the cover, and I've heard things about this, and I'm feeling like you're lying to me. But I watched it, and he was right in the sense that like there is something borderline clinical about the movie. It is not the the premise obviously is disturbing but that's as far as it goes in that regard like the story is really one of people who are captured and trying to escape and you know this this awful fate which i can't believe the trailer actually reveals what actually happens but whatever it's hard um, to have a title like that and not reveal a true, true, true true like you're right you're right you gotta but, hook but, but ali am i wrong about that like the movie is far more like reserved than you would expect it to be given what the premise is. And I remember like, again, it's not really my bag, but I came out on the other side of it kind of like, Oh, okay. That was, that was like a really creepy, like unnerving, weird movie. I've never seen anything quite like that. It didn't leave any scars. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I bought the second one sight unseen because it was the same dude doing it. And I, I probably should have paid more attention because I got five minutes into it. And the second movie is everything I thought the first movie was going to be. And I shut it off and I haven't seen any more beyond that. And I actually read some shit about it. And it's uh, like, it takes place in a prison and the guy is back and it's a, the camera work. I have to give them, unique props for because there's like a i don't know how to say it other than like a colon camera but going the opposite way Mm. and you're like oh no oh this is and it just it really like that one is when they just get into pure comedy and pure camp and it's just like this is a ridiculous film yeah i get that it yeah that just sounds (laughs) I don't know. I feel like sometimes my my old self emerges like because I didn't you know, I always talk about how like I wasn't a horror fan as a kid. It Like I got into it later. But I think that also makes me a little bit more squeamish than the average horror fan. Like I can watch most anything. If I if I sat down to watch it, I could watch it. Um, but I don't know that I would like it. And so therefore <laughs> so I'm like, uh, I'm going to avoid things that are just like crazy gross. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, it's, I mean, if you're gonna wa- just watch the first one, there are other ones you don't have to. But also, no one's maybe. Supporting. Yeah, maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll do a like a a, a punishment week and watch all the movies that I've, like. Yes, not can, wanted no, to no, no, no! Don't <laughs> don't do that. American garbage. Yeah, right. Yikes. Also, cleanse your palate after watching Human Centipede. By did you guys ever watch uh, the Key and Peele show? Would Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key, their sketch yes. comedy. Yes, love, they love a, that like, show. They had a whole like sketch on the Human Centipede where they like run into each other at a cafe and they're like, "Yo, buddy, it's me. We were in the Human Centipede together." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we we're in the Human Centipede together. Aren't <laughs> you were the middle? <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's not the place you want to be. That's, <laughs> no. Um. Okay. Why? survived that's not a spoiler the movie's been out for like 20 years you can spoil human centipede for me it's okay (laughs) yeah the one in the middle technically lives but is it a good life who knows probably no that's that's not a it's not a place you want to be yeah that's all you want to be you want to be the head of that centipede absolutely 
All right, we're over an hour into our our pre-shows. We're, I'm just going to touch on one thing very quickly, and then we'll go ahead and dive right in. I have been watching Dark Shadows, the original 1966 soap opera. Are we all familiar with this? Of course. I'm familiar. Okay. I've never seen an episode, though. Sue. I have um, a one VHS. <laughs> oh, really? Nice, nice, nice. Um, I, I, I never bought any of the VHS when I was a kid, even though I really wanted them. It's funny. I, I was actually introduced to the story by way of the, uh, the early nineties revival, which I still think is the best telling of that story that had, uh, Ben Cross and Joanna going and, uh, it ran on NBC and was constantly fucking interrupted by Iraq war updates to the point where that's what got it canceled, even though it had done very well. Was Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that? Am I thinking it is right? Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like ba- baby Gordon-Levitt was like, like uh, he played David in it. The son was in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like five years old in it. Good for him. <laughs> um, it's, it's you know, uh, I it's funny. I discovered the, the original show because of that revival. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, back when it was called the sci-fi channel uh, ran reruns of the original soap opera early, like I think like at 10 AM they would run a one or two hour block of episodes. And uh, I just kind of got hooked on it and loved it. And um, I remember when the Tim Burton movie came out uh, during the lead up to it, MPI released this massive coffin box set with like 32 DVD cases filled with six discs each, like nine episodes a disc 1,225 episodes encapsulating the entire series that ran from 66 to 71. That's 1966 to 1971. Like, I could not wait to dive into this thing, and I tried it, and I couldn't get beyond a number of episodes. I tried again a few years ago and couldn't do it. And uh, finally, I did an article this past week that was Dark Shadows related, and I was like, you know what? I've had this damn box set for nine years. I paid like two or three hundred dollars for it. I need to try and do this and do it now. And so I, I just got a good running start at it, and I've watched twenty-five episodes so far. And I got to say, I'm digging the hell out of it. Like once you kind of like get on that show's like wavelength, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I totally get what the appeal of soap operas are for people. Um, once you once you get into it, because this is I'm not really a soap opera kind of guy. I've just seen them in passing. You know what I mean? But this one. The one thing that it strikes me about it is like it heightens everything, uh, you know, like emotionally, right? Like there, there, there are there are obviously like storylines that are inspired by gothic literature, and uh, you know, everything has to be big and bold in a certain way, and everything is just drama with a capital D. So in that way, it's larger than life, but it's at the speed of actual life. You know, it's one episode might just include three conversations that people have, and that's it. You know, there, there's no jumping ahead into the story. There are no cutting corners whatsoever. Things play out in real time. I think the first 12 episodes or so maybe uh, <laughs> maybe cover a day, two days perhaps. Oh, wow. Oh, so, I like- but at the same time, like I, I, I kind of dig that. It's a lot of fun so far. Uh, it's weird seeing uh, Halloween Six is the Man in Black uh, as a young man as one of the leads in the show, Mitchell Ryan. Um, 
but I don't know. It's 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 just a lot of fun, and I'm 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 hoping everyone can cheer me on as I continue to make my way through another twelve hundred episodes. <laughs> I'm you. You can do it. You can do it, man. Because I, I will tell you, I will never do that. But I want to yeah. live vicariously through you. I want I, I want to hear watch. about it as you watch it. If I can watch a thousand episodes of The Simpsons, I can probably do this. I was like, I uh, wait a second, Paul. You watch so much stuff. Are you telling me that you don't have it in you to watch Dark Shadows? Twelve hundred episodes no of it. Yes. Twelve hundred episodes. No, I don't think I do. I, I like, mean, but they're twenty minute episodes, so it's like yeah. You know, but he... like, if I had done it. Because, yeah, I watched, like, The Simpsons and all that. But, like, I did that over the course of, like, a decade <laughs> as I was growing up. Well, you that's know, it's like Could you, you – there's no – that's the thing. I, like, I guess – I get, okay. I guess if I was really dedicated, I could do it over the course of a decade. <laughs> just pop in every once in a while. Like, well, I'd have watch. to buy this, like, $400 box set, though. Paul, it looks – I mean, it looks really – $400. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. Anyways, like, your kids – Paul, I want you. I want you to stop what you're doing right now mm-hmm. and consult your collection to make certain that you didn't already buy it at some point. That's a good point, man. <laughs> <laughs> it might be in there. <laughs> or if you want to get away with, it, it is shocking how often that happens. That <laughs> I go to like buy a movie or think I need to rent it, and I'm like, oh shit, I own this on Blu-ray or whatever. Thing you would probably know if you already owned I, I would know, I would know if I owned Black all of Dark Shadows. <laughs> I own the Tim Burton movie, I know that. Oh, that one. Um, that's a, yeah, that'd be, that that's would be a long conversation. One. So, that'd be a long conversation. I got it for like five bucks on Black Friday. That's, I own it too, I own it too. Um, I, do you have, okay, I will ask this because they are very rare. I'm curious to see how far back your collection goes when you're picking stuff up. Did you ever pick up the Blu-rays for Night of Dark Shadows and House of Dark Shadows? Uh, no. Ah, fuck. All right. I was going to say, because one, they're both very good, and House of Dark Shadows, I always get them mixed up. I Okay, it's House of Dark Shadows is the one that basically does the Barnabas Collins storyline that you would know from the Tim Burton movie, uh, only obviously it was from the soap opera, and they do it in kind of like on fast forward, but that one feels like an American Hammer film. Like, oh. maybe maybe more than any other movie ever. Like, more so than even, like, stuff that AIP did. This I was going to say, wow. Like, even more than, like, the what Corman was doing and all that? Yes. Yeah. To, oh my god, so much more. Uh, and then Night of Dark Shadows is actually just this marvelous, like, completely disconnected from the the soap opera uh, movie that just happens to share stars and names of characters, but really no storylines whatsoever. And it is one of the most effective, like, hmm. like ghost stories and witch stories that I've seen committed to film. It, it will get under your skin and fuck you up. Um, but it, good stuff. Unfortunately, I think the DVDs are still available. The Blu-rays are out of print, and they they are bastards uh, as far as uh, their pricing goes. So, uh, okay. but well worth well worth seeking out if you can. Okay, good to All know. Right. We are an hour and a quarter in, folks. Let's uh, let's go ahead and do some uh, some Doctor Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. How about that? I'm yeah. ready. I had to rent this from the library. <laughs> Nice. Me too. I, I, I watched it on the library streaming app. Yes, here. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was a thing, so I, uh, I Amazon Prime that. 
Uh, it's only because I do have the DVD from way back in the day that Anchor Bay put out, but it's in storage, and I just didn't feel like it. And I was like, you know what? Four bucks, whatever. Um, so I'll tell you what. I don't know what the prints look like on your all's end, but if I had to guess, it begins with that really pretty Studio Canal logo. Let's go yeah, ahead and I got. Let's move past that. Listeners out there, no matter how you're watching this, we're going to want to move to the very first frame of the movie, which is going to say something like, I think EMI presents or something like that. This is too loud for this. There we go. Let's turn it down. There it is. Yes. Okay. So EMI e Film Productions Limited. There really isn't even a fade. So let's just uh, let's go ahead and get to frame one of that. We'll do a countdown and we'll all press play together. Is everybody ready? Does it I'm say ready. a hammer production? Uh, no. The first frame should say EMI Film Productions Limited. Then I'm also totally there. Sweet. <laughs> we did All right. it. Let's, did uh, it. let's go ahead and press play in five, four, three, two, one, and play. And here we go. Uh, this is this is a Hammer production. Um, there is something. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. This this opening credit sequence is very like. Why does it remind me of old Universal horror films rather than? anything hammery you know what i mean it's giving me like um those old uh like mgm musical vibes yeah i was gonna say like quirky live action disney movie comedy vibes that's what I, like that's the the score saying the same thing yeah, like 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 I'm about to watch like I'm about to watch the overture for the ugly dachshund or something, like <laughs> that's kind of what this feels like. This feels like the beginning of like a Rodgers and Hammerstein thing, which I'm like, let's yeah. do. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. it doesn't feel like? It doesn't feel like the beginning of an adaptation of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, or no. of the Ripper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the exactly. Burke and Hare murders. <laughs> yeah, this is uh. This movie's doing a lot. Like, it, a lot way is more happening. Than it like, you it know, I, no place doing any of it, and I'm, like, here for it. <laughs> I do I do like how, how far it spreads its arms. <laughs> it is impressive. Apparently, this came about, it was the brainchild of one Brian Clemens, who was the co-producer of that old TV show, The Avengers. Not not the Marvel thing. I'm talking about, uh, you know. The Steve. Sean Connery thing? The Sean Connery movie. No, God, no. And please With, don't bring uh, Sean Connery on this face? podcast because, as Paul will tell you, I ah, that sends me into a rage. Um, he's, a big, he's a big Connery fan. Yeah, yeah. No, not remotely. Um, I hate Sean Connery. Oh, dead birds. Is that an eagle? You can't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like this movie has, like, some of the best, like, like old-timey British townsfolk ambiance. <laughs> Than oh, like totally. almost any other Hammer movie. Like the fog budget on this film was insane. Fog budget was great, and and Roy Ward Baker like directs the hell out of this movie. Like this He's movie is so much more interesting visually than it probably needed to be, or in in some ways should be, and it and it elevates everything. Like some of the shots in this film are just amazing. I would agree with that. Uh, Clemens, who did the Avengers, apparently wanted to get back into film work. He pitched the title and only the title to James Carreras, 
who apparently flipped for it and uh, called him in for a meeting two days later. And two days later, Carreras had already made up a poster for the project, which seems very Corman to me. I don't know, but uh, that's very Corman. (laughs) You make the posters first, then you make the movie to go with a poster. Well, Corman and Carreras had a lot in common. Yeah, well, I, yeah, Corman seems like a nice guy, though. I, I, it's not a slight against Corman, but the, their business tactics and the way they thought about things was undeniably similar. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I, but I was like, oh, I think Corman's a nice guy. Yeah, I wasn't, not so much commenting on his. Yeah, his maybe persona. don't shit talk Corman. I love Corman. Okay, good. I, I love how his approach to murdering people is kind of like, hey, look at my knife. You know, he's he's got to brandish that post-mortem blade for a second. Yeah, you just see the knife, and you see it again, there's blood on it. I do think that the uh, the slasher elements of this movie are some of the most, like, kind of overt. Like, when thinking about Hammer's films before this. Like, they kind of went full-on slasher here, whereas they had shied away from that previously. Which is crazy in that, you know, Paul, you and I had talked uh, many, many moons ago about, uh, well, not that many, I guess, many, many podcasts ago, rather, um, about, you know, the Dracula series being kind of like a a, a prototypical slasher series in a way. But you're right with this movie. There are many slasher elements. There are – this feels more like a slasher movie than – a lot of actual slasher movies a decade before slasher movies were a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. Well, it feels very modern in some ways. Like th- this one really feels like a seventies movie. Um, whereas like something like Countess Dracula didn't at all to me, you know, like this one feels like again, more of what you're expecting out of a seventies film with a little bit of a higher, I don't know, class to it than something like lust for a vampire you know like like this feels much classier it feels like it has some of the the better elements of some of hammer's better films but but very squarely entrenched in 70s horror culture yeah and it does lean into not in a crass way, uh, but like it, it, it does brush up against Grindhouse. From it does. this is arguably the most Grindhousey the Hammer had gotten up until this point, I think. But but again, it still retains that class. Like, and you're right about the 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 look of the movie and like the fog and the streets. Like this is this this movie gives great Victorian London, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Gives and great I, <laughs> as much as like I don't know if either of you seen it and I, I would almost be surprised if the movies didn't share sets but I mean I'm sure they didn't but I mean my goodness uh, but have you ever seen a Murder by Decree the Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper movie from the 70s no I have not I've oh, heard of it I've not seen it goodness you both need to get on that that is a Bob Clark movie Oh I, I believe... oh, I knew that. Yeah, I need to see Oh, it. he's a sweet baby angel. I Doesn't that have a, a Blu-ray? Didn't someone put that out recently? I don't know if it's on Blu-ray. I picked up the DVD ages ago because I was a Clark fan. Um, I mean, when I say ages ago, I'm talking like 2004, 2005. And it's just the concept alone, like pitting Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. That's such an obvious 
cool thing to do. But then you cast Christopher Plummer as Holmes and James Mason as Watson. I mean, mm. my goodness, it is. A it's great a film. it's a Kino. Kino put it out. I need to pick that up. I need to upgrade. Yeah, I need to get that. That'll that'll go on my list. I will. I will definitely because I love Bob Clark. I love Bob Clark. Yeah. What I do we too. think? Um, we we just saw Howard and Susan Spencer. What do we think about those characters? Uh, they're interesting that you should mention just as an aside. Apparently, Howard's name in the original script was Mark. Mark Spencer, oh. which the producers at some point apparently decreed would be uh, unrealistic for the time period. So it was changed to Howard. I, mean, I don't great. know Where enough about names to know why Mark wouldn't fly. Could I either of you like tell me why? Fly. One of my best friends growing up was named Mark, so that would have been weird for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my, my so comment weird. on it. Mark, Mark feels modern. Mark doesn't feel feels like a... Modern. Yeah, it, it would be a little jarring. I, I don't know whether or not that was or was not a name. I do know that the reason Mark's name is Mark is because it was his mother's maiden name. Which was interesting. Wait, is that um, your Mark or the movie's Mark? That was my Mark. Okay. Is my Mark. He's, he's still my friend. <laughs> I grew up with him. Well, shout uh, out. I doubt he'll ever listen to this, but if he ever does, now What's he'll, up, Mark? he'll feel special. Um, no, I, I the reason I brought up uh, really Howard more than Susan, and mainly because Susan, I mean, I hate to say it, but Susan's kind of a bland romantic interest there's not a whole lot to her yeah um, um it may be at face value but when you look at that one scene when she nearly flies into a rage when a man that she barely knows beyond one conversation held with a staircase between them when she gets all jealous that he had a woman over you you, you gotta wonder what's going on under the surface there perhaps um or you could just you know not care about her too much like i did um but I howard I've <laughs> I thought that was the only interesting moment that she really had in this movie. I agree. Yeah. Everything else yeah. was like, oh, we're going to the opera. Oh, you're ditching me. Well, I'll just go alone. She, I mean, the reality to me is she's a prop in this movie. Like, yeah, she's, she's just there to sort of, like, exist as a thing to be in danger. I so think wait, Howard's a much more, I think Howard's more interesting. But not in a good way. Like, Howard's kind of a piece of shit, too, but... He's 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 so like weirdly acidic um, and kind of I don't know. And and the way he kind of like immediately I, I don't think the side characters are given a lot of thought in the script, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Like they have their moments, but often they just resort back to the most blatant sort of one dimensional reactions to things like. Howard's a guy that feels like you could have done something interesting with him, but then it's like, nope, guys just want to get laid. And when he sees a girl he thinks is hot, that's all he thinks about and all he wants to do. And that's pretty much it. Like, there's not really much to him beyond that, but he is a funny character when he's around. I found him to be, like, odd and different uh, amongst, like, the normal supporting characters that Hammer employs. Well, even going to the same story, how disappointing is it? I, I agree with you entirely when it comes to uh, the supporting characters here. Compare them to the cast of characters that we had in the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. 
where every character was well-rounded and had some measure of agency and you know everyone was three-dimensional they felt like real people and in this one you're right everyone is an afterthought beyond jekyll and uh i mean i'll go ahead and say it arguably i think even uh even mrs hyde is kind of just a function of the plot and not a character in her own right and yet she's one of the best parts of the movie i think well, because Martine Bezik is like her performance. She does so much with she's, so little. She, and she's so like, she really eats it up. Like she really eats up the scene she's in and, and really has fun with it and is so commanding um, that I really enjoyed. Well, and also, I mean, and we can get into sort of the gender bending of it all. And I'm sure we will. Oh, we will. But I think that obviously that's the most interesting element of the movie. Um, it's just a shame that the rest of the movie doesn't sort of match how interesting that is. But but bringing up Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, like that's the Terrence Fisher of it all, right? Like he cares about rounding everybody out. The whole movie has to have sort of like meaning behind it while being really eloquently made film. This movie, you know, and I and I love Roy Ward Baker. You know, I've said that many times on this podcast, um, and I think he's a, a phenomenal director. But I think he's somebody, especially at this point in his career, he cared a lot more to me about the visuals and sort of the, you know, how how he was sort of visually telling the story than he did about the story itself in some areas. <laughs> um, almost to his detriment. Um, and I think, like, in his Hammer films... This because this was like the last one he made, right? Was this his last foray with Hammer before going over to like Amicus? Uh, no, he did a uh, Seven Golden Vampires. Yes, he did Seven Golden. Oh, Vampires. Golden Vampires. Yeah, but after this, he did Tales from the Crypt and uh, Vault of and now the Screaming starts. Um, and did he do uh, Asylum before? Yeah, Asylum was yeah. right. Yeah, after this. so he right. did a bunch of Amicus after this, and then he comes back to Hammer. Um, and I think when he comes back, he, even though that movie, Seven Golden Vampires, like, I think the story in that movie, like, works better in some ways. Like, that's part of what makes the movie interesting is there's a lot of moving parts and he actually, like, gives a shit about it. Whereas here it feels more visually driven and focused on the Jekyll storyline and everything else is just kind of a support beam for that. Well, I wonder if his work, I mean, you've hinted at it, but I wonder if his work with Amicus didn't reinvigorate him. Because when you look at the stuff that he did for Amicus, like, it's all much stronger than Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde and Scars of Dracula and Mm -hmm. arguably even the Vampire Lovers. Oh, yeah, I would. I mean, and I like I like Vampire Lovers, but I would take any of those Amicus movies over it. Person. I mean, one, two, three, he did Asylum, Vault of Horror, and now the screaming starts. Like, he, he was, did, yeah, he was he did knocking like three out. of the best. He did three of the best horror anthologies, like, ever made <laughs> in the following years. <laughs> um, and I'm a huge horror anthology fan, so. I wonder why Hammer didn't. Obviously, Amicus didn't mind kind of horning in a little bit on Hammer's, <clears throat> you know, kind of a playground a bit. I'm surprised that Hammer didn't sort of go back after Amicus and kind of do their own Portmanteau movie, you know, like where is the Hammer anthology? 
back in the day. Uh, and Hammer's House of Horror, the TV show, doesn't count, I don't think. Like, where is their big screen? Like, Because I would think, especially with their flagging popularity in the 70s and the fact that they were looking at, like, you know, cost-cutting you know, during mm-hmm. some of their productions, you would think they would have adopted the portmanteau like um, uh, uh, approach, you know, like bring in Cushing for a couple of days, bring in Lee for a couple of days, bring in all the people that we can trot out at the top of the poster. But we only pay them for a day or two of work and we can put that out into the world. I'm wondering why that never happened. They had to have considered it. That is strange. Yeah. Um, that is really odd. I, I don't know that they... I think it had something to do with um, Michael Carreras wanting to make make what he considered movies. You know, I don't I don't know that they saw anthology work as truly cinematic. And I think they had to they were being a bit too high minded about it all. And like you said, when they thought of anthology, they thought of television and that's what they were relegating it to. I think had they made a decision like that, though, earlier on, like that could have potentially led to a longer run for them because there was definitely it would have been a lot easier for them to turn a profit on something like that at the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's just weird to me because they had to have looked at what Amicus was doing and what Amicus was successful with and, you know, had to have thought like, hey. We could do that. You know, I don't think it was any sort of, uh, you know, they weren't merely being polite and deciding like, well, no, Amicus is doing that and that's their thing. And, you know, we 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 won't impose, you know, like yeah. bullshit. No, it that couldn't have been it. Paul, I think you're likely right about it. But it's still to me, if they saw something that was making a good deal of money, why not? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I agree. What do we so let's talk about the the whole female hormones thing like Yeah, I feel like if this movie was made today, um people would be super not keen and probably err on the side of a little transphobic. Well, yeah. <laughs> For a movie of the time, it's interesting especially when he's like, "Oh shit, I could be better if I am just a woman." And it's like, obviously, you'll live longer. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to view this. I yeah. think on the one hand, from a from a 2021 lens, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's super. It's not- uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know no one loves the word, but it's super problematic in some ways. Now, obviously, when they made this movie, I doubt they even thought about it. Oh, God. <laughs> that's probably part of the issue. Is they probably were just like, uh, female hormones. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it's like, well, why do you think their skin is so soft because of their hormones? We need to steal them and make ourselves stronger. Um, you know, I think through the lens of the movie though, at the time, I, I would imagine that, you know, Clemens thought he was being very progressive. I do too. Um, they do view it in a way that like, like when he turns into like, uh, what's her name? Edwina. That mm-hmm. like, he is better and stronger yeah. and all this stuff. Like, I feel like they really did try to make it view like in a positive way. Yeah. Cause you're right. Like, cause if you think about it, like a powerful for him to succeed in his aims, essentially a powerful woman has to wrangle control from a man. Yeah. Um, and that's when he's 
his keenest and most successful, I mean, at what he's trying to do. I mean, obviously they're murdering people and stuff, which isn't good, but that, but you could also view that as like her having to do what she has to do. So she's not trapped inside anymore. You know, like she's been driven to that by the repression forced upon her by this man. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's 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 an interesting thing for Hammer to deal with at that time. Um, and there, yeah, there's definitely a, you know, a trans element to it. There's definitely a sort of like queerness to it, especially because if you view, you know, if you view Edwina as a part of Jekyll, you know, and not just a totally independent person. Yeah, but an inner thing that's bursting out. Then one could argue that that Jekyll is obviously a queer character, and has feelings for the Howard character. Yeah, that are latent that he's not able to express, which also sort of explains why he's always so lukewarm towards Susan, even As when he's like dating her. It's like nothing. He really does not care about Susan. It's just you can be arm candy, I guess, if you want, but I'm not really into this. Right. Yeah. There, there's zero interest there. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, I oh go ahead like fullheartedly because like also the, I think this is one of the more unique adaptations of like a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story where like he's going from being you know like a mundane nerdy dude to being like a very aggressive dude and it's like well I like the way they took it where like why couldn't he be more sensual why couldn't he be more like like less I don't know how to say it. I always view the whole character of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as being, like, letting your misogyny come out more and being more aggressive and being more aggro, whereas this, they're taking it in a different route, which I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, and I wish, like, a, like a more daring move in this film would have made would have been to make Howard sort of, like, queer-coded. Yeah. Like, had Howard not reacted so hornily... <laughs> To Edwina when he finally meets her, like that would have been really interesting. Like Edwina going really hard towards him, he's just sort of uninterested. And especially because early in the film, Howard is so like biting and snarky about uh, Jekyll. Like it would have been cool if that was sort of his way of distancing himself from his attraction to him because he knows it's not going to be accepted or possible to explore. Um, and I was kind of hoping for that, you know, and, and, and I was really disappointed once uh, him and Edwina just went so hot and heavy after each other because it just kind of it felt, I don't know, like a little untrue to what had been established in the first like half of the movie in a way. Yeah, I feel like it would have been more interesting had they pursued a different storyline with that. But also yeah. I kind of think this movie could have been more interesting had they focused on one storyline versus having this whole Jack the Ripper thing and a dr jekyll and mr hyde thing yeah i was gonna ask you about that um so so you see that as sort of like a problem in the film like that it's trying to do too much i feel like you're already doing so much with the story and making hyde a woman that you didn't need to add a jack the ripper aspect into it sure yeah it's an interesting choice it's a very Um, to tie it into like these historical like in the Birkin hair thing I think is the the weirdest addition because they were like I was watching this movie and they said Birkin hair 
And I was like, I've heard those names before because there's been other movies featured about them. Yeah. Um, the what is it? The Body Snatchers. The Body there Snatchers. was a movie called Burke and Hare. There was The Flesh and the Fiends. There was were, uh, arguably I Sell the Dead, which riffs on Burke and Hare. But was yeah. were, were they involved or an influence at all on the Doctor and the Devils? Yes. Okay, that that was the initial one I thought of because I really I really like that movie. Um, I think it's I think it's great. But like, yeah, I, it, it kind of pinged in my mind, and I was like, what an odd sort of subplot because <laughs> you know to just throw into a Doctor Jekyll movie. Yeah, like, it, it it just seems unnecessary. Like, I get what they're trying to do. They need an excuse to you know kill a bunch of women and I guess. Women were only sex workers back in the day, so they're like, "How can we incorporate it?" But well, yeah, you're right, I, and I oh, kind of love it though. Simply, you know, like honestly, if it were my choice, I would, I would lose Susan and Howard completely, uh, and I would keep the Jack the Ripper stuff. I would keep the Burke and Hare stuff, and I would, uh, you know, I, I I would probably elevate the relationship between uh, Jekyll and his friend. You know, have. Uh, my God, his name's escaping me right now. This is terrible. But uh, Gerald, are you talking about Gerald Sim, Professor thank, Robertson? He, Robertson, thank you. Make Robertson his uh, his Paul Crimp in this movie, mm. and have that be the source of like tension and drama. Honestly, because with what they ultimately wind up doing with Howard and Susan, like to me, they are the extraneous parts, not like the the murders and not the Burke and Hare stuff. Like I think that stuff adds some really interesting flavor to the movie, which. Like, if you removed all of that stuff, like, if that stuff isn't in this film, and you're just left with Jekyll and Sister Hyde, and then, you know, the the the, the friends upstairs, you know, occupying the flat above them, like, oh my god, this movie would be interminable. <clears throat> yeah, well, and I will say, Jinx, I, I like the flavor those things add. I, I, I didn't necessarily mean that I didn't like it. I just think it's, int- it's bizarre that it's all there. But I agree that it, it adds sort of... Well, it, it all lends into feeling like that time period in London. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of makes it feel like you're really there and this was really happening. It, it feels a bit sort of something like Roy Ward Baker would do. I mean, he did A Night to Remember. You know, he he likes dealing with historical tragedies and, and sort of making things feel lived in. And I think those characters existing in the movie kind of add that to it. I could see that. And Allie, to your earlier point, too, I thought you said something really interesting where you pointed out that, you know, in previous tellings of Jekyll and Hyde, it was all about, you know, uh, uh, elevating the man's misogyny. You know, one of the things that I love about Jekyll and Hyde was kind of dealing with that duality and having, you know, in the best versions of the tale and which I I adore uh, the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. Uh, I really do. But I, I love the idea that you have this character who is essentially trying to free himself of his more... Uh, objectionable, you know, elements as it were. There is nothing of that in this movie. Like not only does it not do anything interesting with the, the, the fact that he is turning into a woman, but there, to me, there's no difference between the two as characters. Like they're, they're both kind of just flip sides of the same coin, but the coin is like double headed. Like it's, there isn't enough of a difference between the two to me to even make it interesting as a piece about duality. You know what I mean? We, uh, can I just interrupt really quick? Cause one of the coolest shots in the movie just, yeah, happened. Yeah, we yeah. just saw the coolest um, shot. 
I was floored. Literally, like when I was watching the movie, I was like, holy shit. And I rewound it and watched it again because that was amazing. It's, like the one shot like, transformation. It's so good. And it's it's so forward thinking, like cinematography wise, because like every other person probably would have done like a really shitty dissolve. <laughs> which they do in this movie later on. They do, they do, but man, that initial shot is so striking and, and really just establishes like that this movie is going to play with your perceptions and expectations. Which is funny because Ralph Bates suggested that he do the role in drag. Which and, I thought was a very interesting way of doing it. Yeah. I I that's a movie I would like to see a version of. Yeah. Although I again I do think that Martine Beswick is really the strongest performance in this film. Yeah. Oh yeah, Martinez for sure. Although her whole situation with the film, I read that like wasn't great. No. Really? They, it's yeah. very yeah, it was a whole thing where like she agreed to be topless, um, but not full frontal, and then her and Baker like argued a shit ton and like didn't speak to each other. So eventually she but I'm assuming got bullied into being fully nude and demanded that they have a closed set. But according to her, like dozens of people were hanging from the rafters just to get looks at her. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, that's, that's not okay. Yeah. And I, but... You can kind of feel it in the movie that she very much didn't want to have that much of her exposed. You know, the nudity was really forced upon her and they, they misled her, like you said. They um, really did. And they, I think they eventually just bullied her. And that's why we have aggressive actors unions for stuff like that. Yeah, which is, yeah. And a lot of, because the, they approach some of the more like um, regular Hammer actresses for this role before her. And mo- they all turned it down because they weren't comfortable with the level of nudity that Carreras well, like, uh, and... Carolyn Monroe was going to, like, was optioned for it. And she yeah. was like, no, that's too much nudity. Yeah, she didn't want to do it. I couldn't think of anybody else. Like, Carolyn Monroe, I could almost see. But can you think of any other actor who they could have hired that they had worked with previously who would be a better match to Ralph Bates than Martine Bezik? Like, I... Not she looks so strikingly like him, I think. Yeah, that's the thing is that she looks so close. And when she has her hair up before she like pulls it down, like it's they're very, very close to looking alike. However, although Field could have done this, even though they don't really look alike. I my my wife had a problem with the fact that her hair was so much longer than his. (laughs) She was like, Their hair should be the same length. And I was like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I'll let that slide. Because, like, even in, like, adaptations where with Jekyll and Hyde, where all of a sudden Hyde has, like, a full beard, I'm like, well, if that can happen, why can't she have longer hair? Right. Well, and but, also, um, you know, breasts, but... <laughs> is that your whole statement? Just... Well, no, I'm saying, like, she's... <laughs> there, there, there are other massive changes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just I think it just matches better. Wow, red flag moment. Yeah, oh, come on. I was uh, <laughs> That was good. Uh, all right. So, no, <laughs> what I was going to say, I, I lost my train of thought. Um but it, it, I I do think that in that moment, cuz he's only Edwina for a moment. Yeah. But that's like the happiest and most confident that character 
ever is yeah, like, up until this so point in the movie in his own skin for the first right. time like how do i get that back which is such a like trans queer situation to be in yes exactly and and i think like i view it and again from the lens of that time period like that that's almost like a positive thing because it's sort of recognizing like hey some people you know this is who they really are and they should be allowed to feel comfortable and not have to be boxed back into this thing that they aren't um you know so i i did kind of like that was something that i i liked at least you know on the outset of it um plus like we don't see her murder anybody there (laughs) do you think that's anything that they considered though or do you think it was merely a matter of them Uh, treading through well, because I'm thinking like two faces of Dr. Jekyll. You have Jekyll, who is kind of this miserable, depressed guy. But when he becomes mm-hmm. somebody else, when he frees himself of that, then he's happy. But in that movie, it's a man and it's a man who is grinning ear to ear and practically hopping down the street. I wonder if, you know, I, I like your read. Don't get me wrong, but I'm wondering as far as like the filmmakers go, if it wasn't merely a matter of them trying to copy what had come before. Right. Mm. Um Honestly, I what I would say is I know the whole point was to just do something different with the story, right? The the reason it's a woman or him turning into a woman is no one's ever done that before. This is new. This is a new way to do the Jekyll story, which I I applaud. I applaud them finding new ways of telling classic stories to take. And it was literally like it, it was just a gag, though. Like Clemens even said in an interview, he was like, "Uh, wait for it." Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I can't believe nobody's ever done that before. Yeah, like it was yeah, just and it then, was kind and of a goof. And it plays right into the hammer glamour, right? You can cast some beautiful woman to be the the other person. She can be a seductress, right? It plays right into the kinds of things that Carreras thought Hammer should be doing in the 70s to again appeal to that young audience. Um I think in so doing, they stumbled onto some happy accidents thematically that can be read differently or mean different things, you know, cause once a movie's made, you put it out into the world, like what people take away from it, that's sort of no longer up to the creatives in a way. Right. Like, so I no, I don't think that they intended to completely tell some sort of like trans journey or queer coded journey, but oh, I can't no. help but think that the, the people involved in the film once they started making it, and especially the actors didn't, didn't insert some things here and there that, uh, you know, don't resonate now. So do you think we had like a, uh, you know, because this would have been nearly 20 years after like Christine Jorgensen. So do you think there was kind of a nightmare on Elm street part two thing happening where, you know, on set, they were they were kind of aware of something that maybe the, the, the guy at the head of the production didn't, you know, that they leaned into. I I think Bates or, or do certainly... we all believe here Bates that Jack idea. Shoulder? I think I think Bates absolutely was. And I would say Martin Beswick was as well. Yeah. Um, I think both of them knew. I mean, I just the fact that Bates offered to do it in drag tells me that he was aware of what this was going to represent. Um. And and again, I would be interested to see that take. <laughs> that would be fascinating. I don't know that it would have worked altogether, but I think it would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, I definitely think it would have made it more campy and more of a joke. Whereas yeah, probably. more of an exploration. And like after the first transformation, like you I don't know if you guys got this vibe, but like I sense that Ralph Bates was playing it like now that he understands what 
is truly inside of him that he's a bit more feminine when he's in his male form and then he's a bit more masculine in his female form and like yes. yeah i agree like there's elements well, spilling and... over from one side to the next i kind of like you know it's funny that you mentioned that because there's something about seeing him rise after that first morning when he walks around and you're right he the way he kind of glides around the room and the way that his coat is sort of cinched tightly at the waist in a way that it wasn't before like there is something kind of oddly feminine about him in that moment, I think. And that had to have been intentional. Yeah, thousand percent. And then just, you know, when Edwina's, you know, killing people, that's a bit more masculine. And like, it's very interesting the way they both kind of played their own dualities within these roles. Well, and Ali, you mentioned it earlier too, when it comes to the murders, it, who are they killing? They're killing, you know, sexually sexually confident women right like like sex workers yes but also women who are sort of free to to feel things and do the things they want to do not beholden by the more repressive culture of the time like they're they're they exist outside of that a little bit um and and what offends a repressed man more than a sexually open woman right you know so it's it's interesting that they chose that as the target audience and then i think they probably sort of connected the dots also love that reveal of the feet hanging there jesus again another just great shot by baker um scarlett johansson no Oh, Jojo oh, Rabbit. Come on. <laughs> come on. My favorite movie, my favorite movie of that year, by the that way. That was a great film. Rabbit. It's so good. Oh, it, you would need to make a fucking film. I, uh, point, though, a second ago, I mean, I think, you know, does that not go also into what we were talking about with uh, this kind of predating slasher films? Like, when it comes to the women in the movie, who is left standing at the end but the virginal good girl and who wound true. up being the victim strewn all throughout the story? Can someone explain the scene that just happened to me? Why did they throw that man into a vat of flour and then we cut away? What is the what was that the- was lime and that was probably a really excruciating death for that guy. Oh, but why do they just have a big thing? Is that just something that London had back then? Just a giant. I'd like to think. That, wait bomb? a minute! Isn't that the guy they blind? No, that was uh, hair. I thought. Okay, I got confused. Yeah, Burke was hanging and hair was tossed into the lime pits. Okay, okay, what? that's what it was. Well, okay. All right, then that makes more sense. But also just, why do you have a giant thing of lime? What are you doing with that? I like to think they just have it handy and waiting on criminals to just lob them into. Oh, just I, don't, I, don't. I like to say criminals, but it's like not the police doing it. It's just a mob of angry people throwing him in. That's, they call it Lime Alley. <laughs> yep. Burke and Hare uh, were were horrible people, but it was also made possible by the like crazy laws at the time, where like the only the only like bodies that doctors could do anything with, like when it came to experiments or autopsies, to like just learn about anatomy, was like people who died in prison, yeah. people who committed suicide, and orphans. That was it. So it basically created a situation where people like Burke and Hare could do what they did because there was a scientific need for study and had, you know, they just allowed cadavers to be used when people died, then that never would have been a thing. So they're they're kind of a product of 
a really shitty government. <laughs> we all, though. <laughs> what a line of thinking, too, that Jekyll seems to uphold, which is this idea that, you know, it's okay if he kills a number of women, if ultimately that means that at some point in the future, these scientific advancements are going to prove beneficial for humanity. You know, it's that whole plain God thing that, you know, that admittedly, I think this movie does well in a way that maybe other tellings of Jekyll and Hyde don't. Although, admittedly, those don't deal with, uh, you know, Ripper-esque slashings, but... Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, and, well, it's it's basically Frankenstein again, but instead of doing that. something just for himself, he actually is trying to help humanity. Like, I do think that Jekyll is maybe a better person than Victor Frankenstein. I think deep down he's, he wants to do good. He doesn't just want to do something powerful because he can. Um, but it, but it parallels the Frankenstein story so closely, you know, it's like at first oh, I'm doing experiments so I can try to accomplish this thing. Well, now I need bodies. I don't care how I get the bodies. We're going to have to kill people. So I have bodies. Like it, it's that same sort of progression, but with a guy who isn't just inherently evil. You know, it's funny that Bates got to play there. I think there are a number of parallels, not just character wise, but even performance wise between Bates and his character in the horror of Frankenstein. I mean, they're essentially the same man, only his Frankenstein doesn't wink at the camera. He's not in love with being a little bit evil and a little bit wicked. No, yeah, but yeah. as far as the, the, the aspect of him being driven, you know, beyond all, uh, reason at times i think he very much carries that aspect of his victor frankenstein over into this performance and i've said it before on this podcast i love ralph bates and i think he's marvelous in this movie i really do uh paul i think you said like martin bezik i think is probably the best performance in the movie i won't even argue that but i do think bates is really wonderful and especially coming off of his admittedly maybe kind of phoned in <laughs> performance in lust for a vampire you know what i mean well, and and you almost can't blame him for less because he came in at the last minute. You know yeah. that was a he wasn't like scared. not intentional. Like and he saw what was going on. It. Yeah, I yeah he knew what that movie was. Yeah, <laughs> we all did. But no, Bates is great. Yeah, I mean it's no slight to Bates. It's just Martine Beswick is as good as she is. It's so good. But no, I, I think he really he brings something to this movie that's unique to him, and I I wish. Um, I wish that he had become the next Peter Cushing. I would have loved to see yeah, a whole slew of movies. Well. Yeah, with him. Um, and, and this scene, I mean, there's some really atmospheric stuff in, in this movie. Like, the lighting here is great. Like, the kind of neon. It's a little giallo. Lights, like, it, it's, yes. This movie yeah, is very giallo. Just like with giallo. the knives and the blood on the walls and everything. Yeah. But also yep. this whole scene with her undressing God, yeah. is my favorite thing because, like, my God, it must have taken her easily 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> Do we well, know if there was any censorship in this film? Because it feels yeah, like that attack sequence is a little trunked. <laughs> there was a lot of censorship. Yeah. Um, even with the whole full frontal scene, uh, she still had to be fully naked, but they couldn't show her pubic area. Well, and, like, the BBFC demanded that they don't intercut like the gutting of a rabbit with yep. a kill but then they sort of like put it back they in and kind of did that anyways <laughs> yeah like there was a lot of stuff that they asked in the ch basically what happened was because this was by now the bbfc made all these demands hammer half-assed changed stuff and then changed it back and released it anyway 
And then the BBFC just sort of caved, but it did get an X certificate. I love, I love that there's a town crier in this. <laughs> I adored that. I was like, oh, this is great. And then he kind of sings. I, I didn't know that about town criers, that they kind of make it a song. A murder, like that kind of thing. I was just like, wow, that's that's a little. It reminded, of of cor- it reminded me of Corpse Bride. You know, oh, when God, the guys, town crier and Corpse Bride. What kind of pay does a, a, a town crier bring in, do you think? Like. They get paid in joy and experience. (laughs) Yeah. They get the news early. Yeah, they get to hear everything first, and then they get to spread the gossip and sing. And this guy's got a good voice. He's got a great voice. Yeah, I don't deny it. What do you make of that reveal with the blind man where his... You know, obviously, uh, Jekyll handed him the cane with a bloody hand, and you think it's going to be important story-wise. And then later... You see the blind man with a cane that's pretty much unsullied. Like, what What do you make of that little note? Uh, the um, blind man with the cane? I, yes. I don't know. I just think that he's... No, I don't, I don't mean the character. I mean the bloody cane. They make such a big deal of the cane being bloodied when Jekyll hands it back to him that you think it's going to be a massive plot point later on. And then in the very next scene... They cut to a close-up of the cane, and it's all clean and perfect. Oh, well, that... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, mine would be two lines of thought where it's either a continuity error, or the more deep is that the blind guy felt it and was like, you know what, this gentleman was nice to me. I'm going to wash this, not knowing what it possibly could be. (laughs) I, I, I sort of subscribe to the second one, but more along the lines of he knows who the killer is. Like he, always he's, like he's gonna know. he's gonna sort of wait to the right moment to sort of because he he knows he knows that he interacted with him yeah. but he doesn't know where he is or who he is so if he sees him if he gets near him again he'll know for sure so it's more of a little plot point thing. I absolutely love his glasses. I think it's such a neat stylistic touch. I don't know that any blind person in Victorian London ever wore glasses like that, but. It's such a neat touch. And it reminds me weirdly of uh, like a Frank Miller drawing where the eyes Ooh, are always not, lit up yeah, even in darkness. Black, the what? eyes are white. And... I mean, is it not totally yeah. like Kevin from He's Sin City? very much like Kevin. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And there was a line in the last scene with the cop, or maybe it's coming up. I thought it was the last scene, but I wrote it down. Great sleight of hand here. The yes. cap. But um, I, I like when he says, who else would do that? Or who else but a man would do that to a woman? And I like, you know, that kind of idea of men sort of acknowledging that they exploit the opposite gender to get what they want. They do. It's <laughs> definitely not an idea. It is a full-blown fact. <laughs> yeah. And I like that that's sort of acknowledged by the men in this movie. And they, yeah, it's more matter of fact. It's not like. Oh, I'm sad about this. <laughs> like, we should no, change this. All these women <laughs> in a grotesque way. Right. And then the irony that it's it's a woman committing yeah. these crimes, like, is well, wonderful in some ways. I love this scene here where, like, she is now a woman again, and she's just like, my hair is beautiful. I'm going to go pour myself yeah. a drink. Like, the aura okay. of confidence that she just automatically starts mm-hmm. is... Mm-hmm. Is this more a hammer bar than hammer pub? I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm sorry, Allie, I interrupted you. 
No, I just, I just love it. Like, I just find this, like, this version of this sort of duality is just so lovely. So, to her credit, if she were uncomfortable in that scene, and it sucks that they made her shoot it, if that were the case, especially if they misled her, like, into shooting the scene in the first place or whatever, to her credit as an actor, like, you can't tell it in her performance because she doesn't miss a beat, I don't think. Also, I really like this idea that she just tore down that curtain and made this, like, baller dress. I was going to say, can we talk about how the fact that she just, like, ripped curtains off the wall and now it's a gorgeous dress immediately? Like, (laughs) she could be on, like, next top model right now in that curtain. At least do, like, the Spider-Man origin sequence where she's, like, drawing potential costumes first. This is the idea that Ralph Bates character knew how to make clothes and make clothes for women and yeah like that's the other part of the whole thing where like technically this is you know a dude right it suggests that he has like a lot of knowledge of that stuff and that further speaks to what might be sort of implicitly inside of him that is been closeted or Mm -hmm. unable to get out but But there's also like a difference between like how people interact with her versus him. There's like this implicit trust that men afford to, to what they perceive as like a beautiful woman or a woman who has something to offer them like sexually women and, too in this movie for that matter. But also yeah. in this whole scene where she's wearing this gorgeous red dress, that's very revealing. Like it's an open back. It's a low plunge. Like she's more nude in this moment than any other woman is in like their full 18 layers of clothes. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's really true. And she's not like going anywhere. She's just in her apartment or in her brother's apartment. But Paul, I think to your point a second ago, like, again, like there is sort of this trust that's given so freely because she is a woman, even down to the women who approach her. Like, you know, when she uh, accompanies a woman down a dark street, you know, they trust her, whereas they wouldn't have necessarily trusted a man because there's a murder about, but nobody thinks twice about it being her. I mean, like speaking as a woman and someone who's walked alone at night many, many times, if I see Mm -hmm. a woman, I'm like, Hey, I can walk with this woman. They're definitely not going to assault me. (laughs) But any dude, I'm like, Hmm. You know what? I'm going to take a cab. Smart. <laughs> it is smart. That is fair. That is fair. I get it. I, I mean, yeah. And the movie acknowledges that openly, you know? So it's like, even back then that was true, which is really sad. Yeah. We've known for a while that men uh, aren't, aren't great. And they're very, yep. or not obviously, I'm not going to say not all men because that's not a full sentence, but <laughs> it's okay. We, we all know what I mean to say. We do. We do. And you're and you're not wrong. <laughs> it's it makes sense. And and this movie exhibits it fairly well. You know, I think it 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 builds a story where it makes sense that that's happening and that we buy into why it's happening. Um and it's hard to view Jekyll as I I think that's what the biggest success of the movie is I don't really view Jekyll as either sex because he's torn between the two. And he can't seem to land on one, you know, and that's sort of his ultimate undoing is that he can't find his identity because the world won't allow him to or hadn't previously. So now it's just exploding out of him. It is interesting, then, that the time that he is maybe 
the most genuinely himself then is in the very final moment of the movie with, you know, the kind of amalgam that he becomes. Or oh, and I'm, or... I'm excited to, t- when we get there, I want to, I have a sort of a query, uh, for, for y'all, um, about where it all lands, but. There is a lot of fog in this movie. I know it is beautiful. It Some of it is fog. filter I use. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm wondering like how much of it is practical and how much of it is them like maybe stretching a white stocking over the lens, you know? It feels practical. Because in most shots, like if it was just something done over the lens, like it would it would obscure all the close-ups too, you know? Yeah. Well, I I remember seeing ages ago, there's a type of lens that you can shoot with where on a matte box, you can stretch like a white stocking or something similar, like a sheer white uh, cloth over it and then focus through it. And it gives you that great hazy early 70s like Mm. we're we're shooting a romantic scene kind of like thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe then. Yeah, I, I, I assumed it was just, you know, of their creation. Yeah, fog, no, I mean, fog machines and fog stuff. machines behind oh, there the- are totally like that last scene. I think was... is totally fog machines. But early on, like one of the earliest, uh, you know, when they glide through the city streets, like I think there had to have been some sort of filter on the lens. Hmm. Well, but this was when, all no, uh, no, Elstree, right? Elstree Studios for this one. Yes. This is where it was yeah. shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they had, uh, you know, more equipment there and a bigger facility and it shows. I mean, this movie feels big. For the most part, it does still be more so than their last couple of movies. Like this is the this film kind of betrays the notion that Hammer was struggling for money at this point in his career because this is one of the bigger movies, bigger looking movies, I should say, that yeah. they've done in a while. The, to me, and I, I kind of touched on it at the beginning, but like this feels like they were trying to do something that would have stood alongside their Golden Age movies. You know, the, the, this feels like a production that they put a lot of effort into. There's artistry involved. I'm not saying it works as well as those, but I do think it it has the pedigree in some ways that yeah, those movies. It has have. the essence of those. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of gothicism in this movie, and it's the performances are great. It's you know, for the most part, you know, like I said, it's really the failings of the peripheral characters come from the script and not really from the performers. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there, there's no performance in this movie where I'm like, well, clearly they were, yeah. you know, they I, were not I would have liked to see to Michael ask. Ripper in there somewhere. Yeah, we, we need a Michael Ripper in this. Movie. He could have been biker. They could have aged that character up a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good call. Maybe Robertson. <laughs> but yeah, all the all the scenes, to be honest, with like with Henry and um, Susan, th- that, those were the moments of the movie where it, it just kind of like grinded to a halt for me because there's not a lot of chemistry there. I don't know, or at least I didn't feel any. No, but, no, not at all. I mean, she's look at her. She's she's so very taken with him so quickly it's a little unnerving well it doesn't make sense like because there's no they never have a connection they never have a moment um and there's he never provides anything to her 
you know, socially or emotionally to to get her to to sort of win her in any way. She just kind of freely gives it because he's a man that's in close proximity to her. Yeah. It, like it really literally is literally it. Like, that's oh, there's a guy there that's single. Times. It's old look. True, it's a man. true. You're right. Absolutely. That's the whole like single in my area code. Like, it's <laughs> the whole like who's she gonna date? One of these guys? Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm probably like looking for too much out of out of that relationship. But it, it, like I said, it it also just kind of like bothers me that it's there because I would have liked to see him more romantically interested in someone like Howard or something, given what the movie is kind of dealing with. Well, and again, you know, we don't, I don't think we have to cut the movie too much slack because this movie is coming, what, over a decade after another adaptation from the same studio where the relationships do have a great deal of depth. I mean, think about Mm -hmm. Kitty, you know, in Two Faces, like how well-rounded that character was and how, how impressively like sort of nuanced the relationships were in that movie. You know, they they were, they were capable of it. And instead, they just, uh, you know, th- that is, really... is a gorgeous shot. Look at that. It's just oh, a brick wall and fucking hell. Yeah. Baker knew how to shoot a movie. It's true. But when they do shots like this, it does make it seem like their set was all of London. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he. Positions and. Yeah. He brings this to life. But I mean, again, and part of that was Elstree. I mean, I I hate that they left Bray because I love Bray, but in some ways, leaving Bray allowed them to be bigger. It just happened to coincide with their decline, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they never could have shot like... No. They could never could have, have shot this Bray. film at Bray. No, it would have felt much smaller. You're right. Michael Ripper could have... He could have played a role in this. He could have been somebody there. Why not that guy? It would have made it feel more hammery. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that hurts this movie in terms of, like, ranking it against other Hammer movies is there's so few, like, Hammer players in it. I mean, Ralph Bates is one, but he's a later one, you know? Like, he's a world Hammer, whereas, like... Yeah, it doesn't have any of the like sort of classic hammer people in it or associated with it. I wonder who like, you know, could Barbara Shelley have been the mother? Maybe would that have helped? You know, she's, she's, I mean, long Barbara Shelley always helps. (laughs) Oh, this red dress is just, it's so good. It's so iconic. Like her fashion sense is stunning. Yeah. Oh, she owns that shit. Mm-hmm. Red is definitely her color. Oh, and this like cloak that she wears, like this whole outfit is an outfit I want to have. You know, no, we're she's talking someone, about like oh sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say she's someone that could play Dracula. Oh, a thousand percent. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. You were mentioning that Ralph Bates had considered playing the role in drag. Honestly, I don't think Given how, you know, Gaga Howard is for her, and she is certainly striking looking in the film, like, I I, I can't imagine the same scene playing out believably had it been Ralph Bates mm-hmm. and Drag, you know? But I could see a version of this movie where Martine Bezik plays both I'm- Jekyll and Hyde convincingly, and it's still working, you know what I mean? That would be cool. I would be interested in that. Like a yeah. lady doctor finding that duality. Mm-hmm. 
or even, I mean, she, I wonder if she couldn't have played Henry Jekyll even convincingly, you know, uh, they could do that hammer thing they do where they obviously dub her voice for part of her performance. But in that case, it would actually be probably warranted. And then I don't know, just, just a thought, just a weird random thought I had. It's true. Why couldn't a woman play a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing? I think that'd be cool. And has it, why has that not been done? Has that ever been done? Allie, you should do it. No, but I'm definitely interested in that. Like, <laughs> let's let's make this movie. It's going to star Allie. Or can anyone just do a Jekyll and I think, I think we need to make this movie. I think this is our project. Sit down and write out a script, and it'll be good. We'll do it. Listeners, don't take our ideas. Don't That's- steal our idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seriously looking this up. Why did I just yawn? Um, let's see. Are we, are we keeping you? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just gonna oh, nod off. Oh, oh, see, like... and here's the character saying, "Oh, it's only a lady." Yeah, <laughs> but this shot of her just standing in that like archway, oh, yeah. like she's ready point. to murder someone for sure. Not even just murder, but she has like, like power. And I feel like the other women in this film don't portray that the way she portrays it. Like, they are in That's already been done. What? Heidi Jekyll. Okay, that movie sounds terrible, so... That's... It was on Slipstream. I don't even know what Slipstream is. Is it a porn site? Uh, shit, maybe. Let me check. It's, it's uh, on Red RedTube. <laughs> oh, and there was, there was also Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde with Sean Young playing Helen. Oh, yeah. I actually knew that. Oh. Yeah, okay. That's my bad. Well, Two Women of London, The Strange Case of Ms. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. Uh, Yeah, this is... This is... this Knife through the neck on screen with blood pouring out onto her bosom. Like, that is... That would never have flown. Jollo as hell. In the 60s. Yeah, I mean, this movie, that was the thing I kept writing in my notes is just how much of a slasher it is and how much they got away with. Um, it's it's impressive and it's kind of, you know, I feel like it's a bit influential in some ways, given the year that it you know came out. We weren't seeing as much of that in 71, you know, I mean, granted, Grindhouse was about to go crazy like we had. Last House on the Left on the Horizon and other shit that was going to be, you know, pushing things to limits way beyond that. But well, if this was seventy one, when was uh, when was Bay of Blood? Is that not widely considered to be the first honest to goodness like slasher? I thought Peeping Tom was the first slasher. No, that's American slasher. Well, it depends on how you define it, because I also think of like the girl who knew too much as a slasher. And that was early sixties. Bay of Blood. Even, was, I mean, you're Bay right. Of Blood I mean, was seventy one, so that was the same year. But technically speaking, if you really want to get, you know, into it, like Bird with the Crystal Plumage was seventy, and that was a slasher yeah. for yeah, sure. That's, that's, um, I, I Mario Bava was making slashers before anybody else, um, and then you know before that, yeah, Peeping Tom definitely has slasher elements. There's not a lot of like overt murdering in it but like it you know has pov stalker shots and women getting killed but you know truly seeing like a knife go into flesh and blood squirting everywhere that 
that's a little more distinctly Italian. It's just funny that this movie never comes up in the conversation when we try and track down exactly where those sort of seminal slashes come from. Like even going back to what the thirties and forties, like, uh, you know, 13 women or Hitchcock's psycho or Allie, like you mentioned, peeping Tom, you know, all of those always get brought up in the conversation, but I've never really heard this movie get brought up and damn it. All things considered, I think it probably should be. I feel like it's been overlooked. Well, it's the slasher conversation is really tough too, because it's like, you know, you talk about black Christmas as being one of the first, like truly American slashers, but even before that was uh, the severed arm in 73. And that's, a slasher all the way, you know, but, but it was more regional and there's lots of things like that, that crop up. I I think the reality of it probably is slashers began in the late sixties, early seventies. They started to take shape and a lot of people were making them. It's just only a few of them that have sort of bubbled to the surface as the ones that we know and love. But I will definitely bring this movie up now. Uh, when yeah, people cool. talk about early I was say, slashers, there is a paper to be written on this film that makes the case that it's an essential early slasher film, not mm-hmm. just not just for the killings, but for the nature of the victims, the nature of the we do have kind of a, a, a final girl esque figure, even though she isn't you know positioned as being the lead. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that case could be made and I think a light could be oh, shown yeah. in this movie well, for people who would otherwise a- check it out. I think that's a really interesting concept that she gets to be the final girl in this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I wonder if it wouldn't be, you know, earlier I said I would be fine with doing away with Howard and Susan. But I wonder if there isn't a version of the story where it would almost be like Mary Riley, that uh, version of the Jekyll and Hyde tale from the 90s with uh, John Malkovich and uh, uh, Julia Roberts. You know, imagine a telling of the story entirely from uh, Susan's point of view, where you actually do give her more dimension. You do give her more depth and we see the entire tale through her eyes and really position her as a final girl. I I think I would dig the hell out of that movie. But that's just me. Yeah. (laughs) That would be awesome. Very interesting. Have we all seen Mary Riley here? Oh my God. Yeah. So good. That movie took such a critical pounding when it came out and I always kind of dug it. I thought it was cool. I'll watch anything with John Malkovich, like across the board. I think he's just so interesting. I haven't yeah, seen it, but it sounds good. Uh, it's it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister. <laughs> it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, told from the point of view of Jekyll's maid, played by um, Julia, Roberts. Uh, Julia Roberts in the film, and oh. Malkovich plays Jekyll and Hyde, and he is marvelous in the film as both characters. What what year is it from? Ninety five or ninety six? Something like that. Yeah. That sounds very much my jam. I mean, really, there was almost like in the nine. Obviously, it wasn't one studio doing it, but there was this kind of flurry of revisits to old classic monsters in the nineties that was kicked off by Bram Stoker's Dracula. Then we had from the same studio, we had Mary, uh, fuck, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But yep. then there was also Wolf, you know, with Nicholson and Spader. But then there was Mary Riley, which was doing the Jekyll and Hyde thing. And then, you know, the entire decade was capped off with The Mummy, which kind of did it. I love The Mummy, but, you know, that's it wasn't doing what the other movies were doing. Yes. The, yeah. the Mummy is amazing. Perfect. Why, why would you? Sh- yeah, The Mummy's great. 
Ever. When did I? Did you? Did you all literally just not hear me say that I love the mummy? Oh, yeah, apparently we did. There was a back. There was like, like a backpedaling. We like had to. Well, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is like obviously, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolf, uh, Mary Riley. Those were taking like very creepy, like sober. Sure. Looks at those characters, and then you get to the mummy, and it's just like you know what, gang, let's just have a fucking ball. Yeah, yeah, I I can see how that could be detrimental to the cycle, or or just evolving it into something else. Oh, because none of those, you know, beyond Dracula, none of those worked. So I think when it came to that, you know, by that point when they were developing the mummy, they had people like uh, Mick Garris and Clive Barker and George Romero and all these people coming in pitching takes, and those were all dark creepy serious takes on it and the one that won out was the guy who just did deep rising you know he he came yeah. and was like what if we just make it indiana jones but with a mummy and they were like here's some fucking money that's just why go. i loved it so much oh, it's I, so good. there's an alternate like reality where after the mummy returns they decided to just take rick and evie and jonathan and throw them into big budget adventures against other universal monsters and it mm-hmm. was a I would have been so interested. You know, they can they could do that with Jungle Cruise. <laughs> they could. They could a hundred percent do that with Jungle Cruise. I like Jungle Cruise, by the way. I thought it was really fun. I am still holding out hope that we get to see Brendan Fraser like in another mummy movie someday with Rachel Vice. And I know that's not likely. Yeah, but, but well, I, yeah, I, I don't know that we're gonna see that. Honestly, but, Hollywood but... did him dirty and Oh yeah, yeah, huge. He's gonna my, be in a my... film though, so that's very exciting. Yeah, and like I'm a huge Brendan Fraser guy. My my favorite Brendan Fraser movie is Blast from the Past. That's sure. that's the one. I was literally going to say the same thing. It's such a him and Christopher Walken and Alicia Silverstone. It like, is so fucking good. It's <laughs> that so, movie. It's so romantic, and it's just it's so, so romantic, fun. but it's also like hilarious and interesting and exciting, and it's like borderline science fiction because it feels like a time travel movie even though it isn't one it's so good they are just walking that fallout shelter for like a decade so time has and become something new right yeah it's so good are we uh are we talking favorite or are we talking best brendan fraser performance because uh that's my favorite that's that's my favorite because i i I love it's a close second can I throw some love out for Gods and Monsters? You can. I haven't seen it. <gasps> Paul. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Okay, do you know uh, what it is? Do you know what story it tells? Throw love out, we should be throwing love out for George of the Jungle. Oh, my God. I forgot about you. That movie's amazing. I, I love George like of the Jungle. It's so good. <laughs> I don't know what Gods and Monsters is, no. I've, I, I've heard of it, but I don't know what it's about. Okay. So, Allie, have you seen Gods and Monsters? Oh, yeah. Gods. I've literally seen everything that Brendan Fraser's done. He's okay, a good okay. Indian boy. Paul, uh, mm-hmm. fucking hell. Gods and Monsters is a movie that you need to consider top priority. Like we're talking about this next week on the podcast. Put it at the top of your list, please. Okay. Please. Is it streaming please. or am I going to have to buy it? Uh, I'm no. Gonna, well, I don't know why I'm looking it up. I don't live where you guys live. So, Paul, what it is, <laughs> it is the story. Ellie, this is on you to figure out. How can I watch it? <laughs> it is the story. It's on. Of- Crave and Apple and Stars, but that's oh Ian McKellen's in it. But it's it Canadian, is the story, so I don't know. It is the story of James Whale's final days, the director of Frankenstein, and it's so fucking and good. Bride of Frankenstein, and oh, it's on like, HBO Max. 
I can watch it. Oh, wait, you guys and your fancy HBO Max. I mean, I guess we have that here, too. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, it's good. It's a good film. I, Jinx, I promise you, I will watch it this week. Do it. You won't regret it. I that mean, is my promise to you as my friend. I will watch it. It's Ooh, good I hope he doesn't, and then you have to call him out next week and like bring your if friend. I don't watch it. Yeah, <laughs> if not, be a I'm really giving awkward... a full synopsis. Not just a log line. We're gonna do a I, will, I, will, I will knock it out. Okay, you have full permission act. to spoil the entire movie for me if I don't watch it by next week. That's no, that is, is the that is the all commitment. Aside, like it is okay, so just to give you the basic log line, it's about James Whale's last days and the uh strange friendship he strikes up with his basically the lawn man, the gardener, uh, who's played by Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser is fucking amazing in the film. Uh, Ian McKellen is like it's a career best performance, which is saying something. Okay. Um, it, it, it's it's delightful and it's funny and it's charming and it's heartbreaking and it'll make you cry and it'll make you cheer by the end. It's it's wow. marvelous. Okay, it's a beautiful right. film, honestly. Like, I'm very excited. I will I will watch it. I promise. HBO Max. I don't have to pay for it. I'm good. Not Michael Ripper, no. <laughs> oh no. I would have been totally I, down I for that. I feel like Ripper. that knife didn't really go anywhere. It feels like he just slipped oh. out. I love the Ooh, flash to his face. That that's almost that's almost like an instant of that's what it would have been like had he been doing it in drag. Yeah. <laughs> Probably should have shaved. But I just oh yeah, that's some good editing. Man, the 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 blood in this movie and like how brutal it is. Like it's so different. I love it. Look at Bates. Like he is even in a sequence that we've seen a million times in movies with somebody having a nightmare and twisting and turning. And you know, it's, he brings an energy to it and a life to it that sells that idea in a way that I, you know, you don't always see or even often see, I would say. Yeah. The man was committed. Uh, He gave a hell of a performance in this. I agree. I I think he really did give a shit about this movie. You know what I mean? Like like he said, we just watched a movie where he didn't give a shit. But this one felt like he did the he did the homework. Like yeah, there's a distinct difference. Yeah, for sure. I don't know that a knife would do that to a mirror if it would pierce it perfectly, but I love the look of it. That's what you're gonna call bullshit on in this movie. Yep. That's the line for me. You're so like, for no. me, it's how long his hair is. <laughs> for you, it's the mirror. Mine was the blood continuity in that scene where one of his hands all of a sudden doesn't have any blood on it. Mm. Okay, blood now I want you to watch Bates carefully in this sequence as he staggers around blindly bumping into things, knocking things over, because that is very much like me after recording the earliest days of this podcast, especially Curse of the Werewolf. Oh. I was going to say, this is a very, like, Nicolas Cage-esque moment. Yeah. Where he starts to have a freak out, but then turns into a lady. Leaving Hyde Vegas. <laughs> well, I like that line, it is I yeah. who exists, Dr. Jekyll, not, you know, not you. Like, suggesting, and, and I like that when he's freaking out, like, one of the things he pauses at is yeah. is a statue of a naked woman. Like, it just, the the mere visage of that sort of catches him off guard. 
and he's weakened by it because he's so, you know, torn between his identity that he's supposed to inhabit versus what he knows he actually is. I do love this moment. I know. It's like, I love how it's shot. Like it's very keeping her hand in focus and not him. That's there, yes. Like power it's very move. spider it's like power move. You know, yeah, said the spider to the fly. It's very much come into my parlor. I love it. And yeah, it's all sold by the hand awaiting him. Yeah. Well, her form is the web, right? Like her, the sexuality she's exuding is apparent just from her arm, just from her hand. You don't have to see her physical, you know, her full physical form to know what he's being sort of drawn in by. That said, I, yeah. I'm I'm fine with Howard um, uh, getting bumped off at any point. Like I know that you know, but still, come on, he's a doofus. Well, again, he, I'm sorry. Does anybody like Howard here? I I you know, but I don't. I I wanted to like him. <laughs> I find him to be boring in the end because he's sort of exactly what you'd think he is. Yeah, there's nothing to him. There's nothing to him. He's not a a full character. Right. And, and that's true of a lot of these peripheral folk. Allie, are you Instagramming right now as we commentary? I did one. <laughs> and I, I, I should have warned you, Allie. Jinx will police your social media while you're podcasting. Cause I, I once liked a tweet and he was like, did you just like a tweet? <laughs> are, you, are you not committed to this enterprise, sir. Hey, I'm, just, I'm not on here yawning like I got better shit to do. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, fair. Um, you want to fight? We live in 2021. Day. People can multitask. It's been a long day. Plus, I just like spent the day like reconfiguring my apartment. I feel like a 13 year old who like moved their bed around and was like, "Yeah, this is my new room." I, okay, I'm on so Instagram now, now so I can like your Instagram. You I did it, by the me way. completely a... away from the movie, and I'm looking over your record collection. Oh, I don't think you can see any of it. Uh, no, no joke. I have like three Neil Diamond albums and a Ludacris album. Like my music taste is all over the place. A lot of Tom Jones. I love it. Got the front. Oh my gosh, I want Tom Jones. I love Tom Jones. No hate. He's a sex yeah. bomb. Nah, my record collection is mostly soundtracks. Wrong, I have a lot of soundtracks. And a lot of musicals, but I also have a degree in musical theater, so I'm like, eh, it goes, it's par for the course. Love it. What is your favorite musical? Um, I would really have to think about that, because there is a lot of really good ones, especially now that, like, in the last, like... 20 years we've really started to do more horror based musicals and more movie based musicals like Heather's is really good and um, Carrie's really good Beetlejuice is really good obviously Carrie is really good I thought that was like meant to be a disaster yeah but it's entertaining and uh, I don't know what my favorite one would be I was in a bunch of musicals I was in Legally Blonde and Grease and all this shit but like 
I kind of hate those ones now. Maybe because I was in them, I hate them because I had to hear those. <laughs> okay, can I narrow it down? What What is your favorite horror musical? Would that be better? You can even do like a top five. Oh my god, no! By far, it's Sweeney Todd, just because like Stephen knows how to write a musical. Like that dude is incredible. If you get a chance, not that you should, but Company is like one of the greatest things ever written. I oh, this whole scene here of him going back and forth is just so beautiful, and the broken glass. Yeah, yeah, that's the reflection moment is <laughs> wonderful. It makes me forgive the um, the the dissolves that we were talking about earlier because it is so beautifully framed. Well, and that that's why it works. I think, like, as a director, Baker understands, like, you can't, especially at this point in film history, like, people, you know, they know all the tricks. You have to do more interesting things and thoughtful things if you want the audience to stay on your side when you're doing stuff yeah. like that. That's kind of how I feel about films now, where I'm like, yeah, you can have all the nudity and gore you want, but we've seen that. So if you want to, like, wow your audience, like, give me a really good story. Give me really good acting. Like, give me those moments. Yeah. Like, yeah. So Ali, I, I just want to say one thing. I, I, I love that you love Sweeney Todd. I, I adore the, the, the stage version, but I've never actually seen it live. I saw the, uh, I saw the DVD like version, the, the, you know, that was shot of the George Hearn, Jessica Lansbury. Like, yep. You're, you, so everyone's seen that, like, because they released it on DVD. Can I ask? Because I had a friend who, uh, who you know, has a musical theater degree who loves Sweeney Todd, but really did not like the Tim Burton movie at all. And I was wondering where you land on that, because I love them both. I prefer the stage production, but I also, and this is like a me thing, I felt that that was the beginning of Tim Burton's, like, he's not doing so great. Like I want to say Alice in Wonderland was just before that. And like, that was kind of when he started to like go downhill for me. Yeah. I think it was just after because Alice is where it began for me. Yeah. And then I can't remember what he did after that. He did. Uh, yeah. Stuff. Well, he did Alice in Wonderland. He did fucking dark shadows. He did, um, uh, Peregrine's home for peculiar, I did enjoy that. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, his Dumbo is terrible, even though it's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> I didn't even watch Dumbo. I didn't Al- even Alice watch- in Wonderland was one of the worst things I've ever seen in a theater. Like, no hyperbole. I hate that movie. Um, <laughs> like, it pissed me off on so many levels. Like, I hated it. Like, I don't hate much. I hate that movie. Um, I still haven't seen Big Eyes. I didn't watch Big Eyes. I, okay. I got to be honest. Alice pissed me off so much that I've been like pretty much averse to almost everything he's made since then. I um, Big Eyes. Yeah, because Frankenweenie was okay. Um, oh, I like Frankenweenie. I didn't love it. I wanted to love it. By all accounts, I should yeah, love it. It's a it's a love letter to horror movies, but it just didn't do it for me. Right, and like yeah, like the original short is great. Like the the half hour live action Frankenweenie from the eighties is amazing. Great, should be more of that. Yeah, right. I love that. I love. That? I love Vincent. I don't know if you've seen that. The the oh Vincent's amazing. Did. Yeah, I love Vincent. I, I miss that guy. Vincent. Yeah, where the fuck is that Tim Burton? Jesus. What is well, he like, Ed, since, Edward uh... Scissorhands is one of my favorite movies ever, and Ed Wood is. Oh, and Ed Wood and all that stuff, but and yeah. like Fire Before Christmas is like my. Yeah, all those movies. Yeah, I mean, Tim Burton was like my guy 
up yeah, until I, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> now, what did you all think of um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Because yeah. so many people pissed on that like movie, it. and I, I, I loved it. it. I loved it so much. I, like it. I didn't but, like it. Also, but I'm, I have to say, part of that is like the original one. Yeah, I was gonna say the original was so good. Is like one of my top favorite movies ever. Like, if I had to make like a top five ever best movies ever made, it would be on it easily. Uh, the original Willy Wonka is like a perfect fucking movie. Um, I, what's weird is, is I love them both. I just adore them both. I know, I know, and I know, like you should be able to love them both. But for me, <laughs> it, this is a whole conversation. This is a whole thing. Let's I just didn't like it. I didn't like his take, so it's not for me. I know some people like it. That's fine. It wasn't for me either. I think I saw it like twice in theaters because like that was our whole group of friends. Like we were a bunch of stoners and we're like, it's going to be so trippy. and We're going to get chocolate and get stoned and then watch it at the Bowmanville cinema. Why were they so angry? Because they're stoned. Because they're stoned. Oh, because we're living in. They're not angry. They're just like purposeful. I heard anger. They have a place to be. Um, I even though. Uh, Susan is a one-dimensional character that there's not much to. I was so pissed that he stood her out. I was like, my yeah. God, this girl has been like, worshipping you, giving you the benefit of the doubt, like, every step of the way. And to stand her up like this, like, that is so fucking shitty. It just he didn't exactly, out. he didn't have much of a choice. I know, but he should have known that when he agreed to go. He should have known that, you know, that Hyde wasn't going to let him go. Like, this poor girl. Don't you think then we should have had a moment in the movie where we should have had that turn before the final act where it seems like he's overcome Hyde before Hyde comes roaring back. And instead, it's just kind of like... Well, then then he could have taken her to the concert and he could have turned into Hyde, like, there. Like, he would have to run out of there and go to the bathroom, then he emerges as Hyde. And then he could have, like, played both characters at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this moment with her extinguishing the cigar. I think it's just such a tiny little fun note that seems Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's what she's going to do to him. She's just going to snuff him out. This is it. Like, this is Jekyll's last night, as far as she's concerned. And I love how that moment with the cigar sort of you know, sort of accentuates that idea, I think. I think it's smart that the movie turns it into sort of like a cat and mouse between Jekyll and Hyde. And I think it it handles it really well. Yeah. Yeah, I I do really enjoy sort of the finale of this film. I think it's, it's smartly done and it feels satisfying, you know, given what the story sort of sets up. Yeah. Oh, I want this hat. It's a great hat. Every her fashion in this film, like you could just make a catalog of what she wears. Honestly, like I keep like screenshotting pictures of just dresses and fashion from Hammer horror films, and just being like, <laughs> I, could, I could start a well. Line. You know, if you Hype if you fashion. have red yeah. curtains, all you have to do is take the curtain down, wrap it around yourself, and you'll have like this gorgeous dress. Oh my god, hilarious! I do have a red curtain. I just <laughs> okay. Forget. I gotta just, rip it down and like make it just dress. rip it down and like wrap it around yourself. You're good. It'll be <laughs> fine. It'll look great. It'll look better as a dress than as a curtain. I really <laughs> want to see a movie that riffs on that exact idea where you know Hyde changes in, or I'm sorry, Jekyll changes into Hyde. You know, 
uh, Sister Hyde sees the curtain. She reaches up. She pulls them down. And then she steps out to greet Howard. And it's like the worst looking thing you've ever seen. It looks like she's just punched holes in a yeah. curtain. She stuck her arms through like it's a oh giant God. sack. <laughs> and she still manages to seduce him because Howard's kind of a goof. Or on the on the flip side of that, I'd love to see her take like a an ugly old garbage potato sack and like put it on and suddenly it's the most gorgeous dress you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like without any explanation. She just yeah. has that ability. Okay, you know, all joking aside though, and I know it wouldn't have flown during the time, but I think it might have been interesting now that we're just yapping about this because I love this idea. It might have been neat if she had taken Jekyll's own clothing and refashioned them into women's clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also like like tailored I'm them to still her. Questioning how much of their brain is shared. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, and some people there's a reading of this movie where they just see them as distinctly different people. I I don't. I see them as they need to be the, the same, same person. person. That's the whole point. Right, right. I think that's way more interesting. And well, and there's the scene where he like gets the women's clothing. And it's all like, oh, I'm so mad about this. I ordered men's clothing. But, like, one might interpret that as him sort of putting on a show for someone that's there. Like, maybe he did just order women's clothing. Like, cause that's what he don't, wants to wear. Don't moments like this, though, sort of fight against the idea that they're exactly the same person? Well, no, because there's parts of yourself that you may not want to be in charge, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's not the same. It's, like, unleash you that are inside and... But isn't like, that? But functionally, isn't that the same thing though? Because if there's a cat and mouse between them, if there is a struggle between the two, if you get to the very final moments of the movie and he's calling out to her like, you know, you're killing me, like, it, no, because he okay. So the argument there would be he's so repressed by the society he lives in that he thinks this is the life he has to live. She's who he really wants to be. She's willing to kill anyone that's in the way of that. I mean, apart from the killing, this is such a nice, like, queer story. Yeah. Like, he just (laughs) wants to be his true self, and the only way he can get that is through murder, and, like, that part sucks, but the rest of it is just... If it weren't for all the pesky And he's fighting against it, but he's just fighting against his own insecurities that are holding him back. Really, he needs to let go and murder everybody. That's the moral. Just but murder okay, but, but, everyone in your way. But in that case, if he's been willing to kill, you know, at the drop of a hat, as it were, you know, as both Jekyll and... Look at my knife! As both Jekyll and Hyde, then what is it exactly that stops him from killing Susan? If Because he knows Susan. These other people are strangers to him. They're strangers. They're like sex workers. Susan's a yeah. nice woman. So he's, he's, he's able don't to think separate their of... humanity. Yeah, but doesn't it? Don't you think the movie wants us to think that it goes beyond merely like? Well, yeah, the script wants like, us to think yeah, they're romantically that, entangled. But... Yes, yeah, but oh. I just, I just don't read it that way because that's dumb. Yeah, and at the end of the day, people that's will that's miss that's Susan. Dumb. People will like really investigate that murder, whereas like another sex worker dies oh well maybe they shouldn't have been sex workers yeah but i i agree i, I, that... I, don't, I don't think the, the romantic reading is dumb so much as like the filmmakers oh, that was obviously that well you know? i said it was dumb because i've had four, four beers you know i was just being mean 
but like I, I I guess what I'm saying is yes, I agree. The the script intends for us to think it's a romantic thing. I don't believe it's it's incredibly well done, and so therefore I I find it more like I don't know satisfying to think of it the way I'm thinking of it. If that makes sense, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, I guess it all goes back to me for trying to parse out like whether or not they are two distinct personalities or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so we're wrestling with what we're left with on screen and what the intention was. And the fact is, is I think it's the story of the entire film. I, I think it's all a bit of a fumble. Um yeah, I I think the well the hard part there to me is like a Dr. Jekyll story, as Ellie kind of said earlier, like it is the same person. Like it's two sides of the same person. Yeah. Like all, all Dr. Jekyll stories are that. Like, so I don't think even, I I can't believe the intent isn't that they aren't two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's simply because this telling is so different in so many regards not just the fact that Jekyll is turning into a woman but in so many ways and how it handles what he's doing and what he was trying to do with the elixir and whatnot that you know to me it seems to offer itself up to that interpretation that they could be wholly distinct you know especially because of the whole cat and mouse aspect but you're right I mean but do you not get that too also where you know yeah, with all of the other Jekyll and Hyde tales, it is about duality. I don't know that I get that that much with this movie beyond, you know, the, the sort of tropes associated with the story itself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you're I, I think the screenplay could have been stronger in a lot of areas. I think yeah. most of where I get it from is not the script is not what's on. I mean, your points are all valid and like stand 100 percent. I guess where I pull this stuff from is the performances. Mm-hmm. I kind of look beyond what the story's telling me and what the what the dialogue's telling me, and I look more in terms of what Ralph Bates and Martine Beswick are doing. And from that is where I kind of get the story I like better than what's more directly in the script. Isn't that kind of the story of Hammer more often than not, though? You have the actors sort of... You know, like with Cushing and Frankenstein, the actors have to tell their own story separate from what they're given, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's that's the strength of Hammer. It's not always the intent. It's the people they employ and letting them be the sort of creative geniuses that they are. I do feel like I liked everything up until this point in the climax because I do think it does kind of pop. It is energetic. It is fun. There's something about this final moment with him scaling, you know, the sides of buildings and people just standing as spectators. That's just kind of weirdly anticlimactic to me and kind of like, I I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm watching what I'm watching right now. You know what I mean? Like, couldn't they have found a stronger way to end this character than what we're given here? To me, I interpret it as showing how weak he is. Like, he's just this weak guy that want, wants to be stronger than he is, but since he won't embrace his true identity, he yeah. 
he isn't and he's not strong enough. Is that like, troubling for you then? Because I think that's a great reading. But is it not troubling then that the thing that is his downfall ultimately is the fact that he does turn into a woman at the end? Like if he'd stayed a guy, he might have kept that grip. You know what I mean? He might have stayed there long well, enough I, for the cops to rescue uh, him. But because he changed into a woman one last time, he he took the plunge. Does he not do that sort of when he's already failed? You know, like he finally just completely succumbs, but he's already in a position where he's not going to be able to save himself. You know, like like she's not really like she imagine like you just transition and you're dangling by your fingers from a rafter with nothing yeah. below you. Like, it, I don't really see it as like, had she been the one on the roof initially before he leapt, they'd be fine is how I interpret it. But because he did it, the weaker one of the two. He, but it is weird know. then that he is, he is kind of imploring her to not come back in this moment. Yeah. Because that's what spells is doing. Well, because he's rejecting that side of himself. Yeah. You know, I do love this shot. The I quick love cut. the type of red oh, yeah. as he has his final transformation. Like, yeah, and it's it's sensual. Like it's weirdly <laughs> sensual. With for him, when she comes in, she's upset. But because it's it, she knows that her fate is looming. Yeah, because this dude fucked her. Yeah, right. He completely fucked her over. He yeah. put her like. Nobody could hang on to that. <laughs> it's a really smart, clever way to do that death to where you actually do see her fall out of frame. But obviously yeah. they could have cheated that on stage. Of and course. then you cut to Susan's reaction and then you hear the thud, you know, like. But you mean she didn't fall in real life from like two stories? I mean, I don't know how angry they were with her after. Did, was Martine Bez excited after this film? I don't know. <laughs> she had anything else? Should we check that in is on a it? Disturbing makeup they did yeah. for her, it's and awesome. that is her. That I is Martine Beswick in that makeup. Oh no! And his confession is never found. I will say one of the things that we didn't talk about that I do actually appreciate about the movie is that it does kind of. With all of the voiceover, with his confession, it does remind me of kind of like, you know, the sort of epistolary nature that a lot of those gothic horror novels like Dracula and Frankenstein had. You know, it feels like somebody is telling you a story, you know, beat for beat, diary entry for diary entry. Even though it's yeah. not exactly the case here, but I just think that's a really fun way to frame the story. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a cat who doesn't hate on voiceover, you know, which, I mean, it seems to be frowned upon more often than not. And admittedly when it's used as a bit of a cheat, yeah, I, I get it. But as a stylistic device, like in film noir or in this case, and admittedly it's probably used as kind of a cheat in this case too, but still I kind of dig it. Voiceover is a tricky one for me. I, I like it when it's done well. So like CC adaptation or something, but like when it's used to just overtly tell you what's happening and how people are feeling, I don't like it. Um, in this movie, I, I, I don't know that it's necessary. I didn't hate it, but I think the, the biggest issue with voiceover is nine times out of 10, you don't need it is, is what I think. I think most of the time 
what's being told to you in a voiceover can be established without the voiceover. Um, but, you know, I think here it it was fine. But I don't know that I think we probably could have done the same things and sort of establish what was going on without it. I don't know. No, I agree. I think we probably could have. But again, as like as a more stylistic thing, I just I appreciate it. You know, it's like sure, sure. it's funny that we mentioned Frank Miller in Sin City earlier because it's the exact same thing there where it's like you don't need Marv to tell you that the night is hot as hell, you know, <laughs> but damn it, it's fun. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I get that set for me like that. But if it's used, I, I guess the only time that I dislike voiceover is whenever it's used as glue. It's like, uh, we could have told you something and, you know, dramatize it for you. But instead, we're just going to have this this guy say it for us. You know, it, it, it cheapens it then, I think. But otherwise, I'm kind of a nerd for it. I like it when it's done as an inner monologue. Like, yeah. Well, that has nothing to do with this podcast. But like in Scrubs, when JD is just doing his constant inner monologue, I'm like, that's a fine voiceover for me. <laughs> yeah, I get that. That makes sense. All right, so we have reached the end of Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Now, I know it sounds like we all might have thrown stones at it a little bit, but we also praised other aspects of it. So overall, everyone, thumbs up, thumbs down. What did you think? Thumbs up. I like it. I yeah. think it's a good one. It's, it's yeah, I like it a lot. I do, too. I do, too. I, I would still, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's probably would sound to listeners like we were maybe a little tough on it at times but overall i think it's definitely worth watching it's one of the stronger hammer movies we've seen in a few weeks i think and uh yeah even for its shortcomings it's it's definitely worth a look yeah is it is it ralph bates best movie hammer movie Uh, i'm still gonna go for a frankenstein i think he had just more of a character development with this role and he definitely had fun with it. And he definitely did a lot of homework when he took it home with him. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I, I wait, are we talking movie or performance? Performance. His performance was so great. His homework. No, okay. Had- performance. Yeah. I would say he was probably at his best here, although he's also flexing different muscles in Frankenstein too though and what he does there i think is really wonderful and honestly kind of a tightrope walk that he does in that film um sure. i th- i th- honestly think his performance in that movie holds horror frankenstein together but uh movie wise i i i'm it, i'm still all about horror frankenstein i think yeah. we can all admit that whether it's horror frankenstein or it's dr jekyll and sister hyde the one thing that it's not is less for a vampire no i i I would agree that um i think i think for me this is his best performance uh, like hammer performance i know there's still one yet to be talked about because he had um is it fear in the night or something after this i thought could be wrong but um i'm looking that up but anyway i i thought this of the ones we've discussed and seen this was his best sort of personal mm-hmm. performance. I get, I get liking horror Frankenstein more because as a movie, even though that movie has issues, it, it, in some ways it's a little more cohesive, like as a film, but like 
I just I just respect the hell out of what he was doing here. And and for all of its flaws, like I do, I really like this movie. I think it's a really fun movie. I think it's really interesting. Um, it has like we were talking about thematics of it all. Like there's just a lot going on um, that is different than what you might expect out of a hammer movie from this time. So hopefully uh, more people go on to discover it. And I also like what we talked about it being sort of a proto slasher. Uh, Cause it, it definitely deserves to be in that conversation. Yeah, I agree. There's, I, there is totally an article to be written for bloody disgusting, re-examining that movie and shining a light on it for people who haven't checked it out. Like I think framing it in that way, I think a hell of a lot more people would probably give it a look. Yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, I could technically do it for the hammer factory cause screen put it out. So maybe I should do that eventually. Uh, fear in the night would come one year later in 1972. It is a thriller produced by hammer. And of course, when it comes to hammer, he also did taste the blood of Dracula. He was a uh, courtly in that. And, yeah. uh, uh, he's not in it for very much, but I do think his performance in that is great. Yeah. Yep. All right. We are coming up on three hours. What say we go ahead and wrap things up here? Folks, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know out there where they can find you at online and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future, like over the course of the next week. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes first? Any, uh... mini, money, Allie. There we you go. can find me at the Alley Chapel across all platforms. Um, and honestly, this week is like it's a it's a slow week. I got some table reads for some potential upcoming projects. Um, oh, nice. oh, I do have some sad news. Though. Well, not sad news. Sad news for you guys, not for me. Uh, I won't be here next week. My family is doing a trip up north. Damn it. All right. I'm sorry. We'll miss you. <laughs> we'll miss you, but I hope you have a really fun trip. You know, we could just postpone a week. Uh, you do, oh, really? Is this? Are, are you are you low key quitting on us? Is this? No, gonna be I, was, I don't want guys, you. I can't make it next week. Because because I can't make it. <laughs> 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 under the the progression, but yeah, no, we're doing our one last trip up north before the summer's over in like September starts which i don't know why this i mean we're all unemployed well <laughs> retired and unemployed sorry <laughs> Fair enough. um but yeah uh yeah we could postpone a week or what would their next film be anyways see i totally thought that was going to be the case like you had already looked to see what the next movie was and you were like nah i don't think so what you're getting this from is it like a wikipedia page is it your own <laughs> It is Wikipedia, and they are telling me right now that after Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, we have blood from the mummy's tomb. God damn it. Okay, yeah, can we postpone a week? I want to tell you guys. I freaking love that movie. I love that movie, and I love everything. I wanted to be an archaeologist growing up, so like I could just regale you with all of like weird Egypt facts. Okay, so listeners out there, (laughs) we'll be back in two weeks with Blood Mummy's Tomb, which had better be better than the last two Mummy movies because. Uh, Yeah. Jinx, uh, wait for it. Are you sitting down? I I am. It's my favorite of them. It's my favorite Mummy movie. Even better than the first. And look, it's a controversial opinion (laughs) because I. We'll get into it when we talk about the movie. 
Terrence Fisher's film is amazing and wonderful, but my God, do I love Blood from Mummy's Tomb. It just, it just hits all the right spots for me. It's just a very fun mummy movie. And I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll tell you why when we get there, but I love it. I think it's great. Okay. Good deal. Everything's mummies. Like that's my whole jam. I was like a weird, like, kid who was really into Egypt and just wanted like everything to do with that and we have a museum in Toronto that has like mummies in it and I like obsessive even now as an adult like when it was open I obsessively went just to like stare at them <laughs> so I what- love it okay so we we are definitely holding on for two weeks listeners out there you have watched this unfold in real time our scheduling we will see you again in two weeks for our next episode classic camera oh, <laughs> no 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 that's totally cool by me um paul how about you yes uh you can find me on twitter at paul is great 2000 and on instagram and, oh yeah and on instagram because i i was uh convinced to join so i am now on instagram convinced bullied browbeaten sure cajoled. all of those things uh i yeah so i i try to like post some stuff there when I can, I'm still figuring it out. It's not, you know, I'm getting better at it. I think we'll see. Mm-hmm. You you posted more, I think, in your first two days on Instagram than I have. Well, because I felt year, like which bad is looking at my page. I'm not knocking and it was you like for it. Five pictures. I'm like, well, I need more things on there. You <laughs> know, like because no one's gonna follow somebody with like five things. So you're you're uh, yeah, that's that's a fact. Uh, I'm living proof of that. Um, no, no, I think you've done well. Um, and it's nice to have you on there because we're all now on Instagram. We did it. We did we it, guys. Did it. <laughs> all right. Wrapping up here. Thanks to you both for co-hosting as always. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics. And I'm at Jinx1981. You can also find me on Instagram. That is uh, at Jinx740941. That's a lot of numbers. I know. I know. It's terrible. And I'm sorry. I'll say it again, at Jinx, J-I-N-X, 740-941. My apologies. Damn it, I messed up the flow of how I usually finish these things. How am I going to... uh, There's going to be like the needle scratching on the music, and it's going to be a whole big thing. You know what? I'm going to bring this on. Hang on. Ready? Okay, Seth, if you're out there, get ready to start the music here in a second. And as always, thanks all. No, no, I already did that. No, Seth killed the music again. Hang on, I'm gonna get there. Until next time, folks. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. No, Allie talked over. Okay, kill yeah. the music again. Yeah. Okay, okay wait. wait. Okay. No, we're gonna do this. Like, I need dead silence. All right. Nobody look at me. Look at you. Um, what? Okay. So we. Okay. Kill the music again. Ready? Okay. Am Seth, I supposed to be able to see? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Okay. We're not turning this into a bit. We're three hours in. Come on. We can do this. Everybody, dead silence. Ready? Okay, Seth, cue the music. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. (laughs) That was it.